Hello, everyone. Welcome to Enjoy Your Stay. We hope you enjoy your stay. This is the Podcast Podcast review episode by episode HBO's White Lotus. I am your host, Lee. I'm here. I'm joined by my co-host, Spencer. Spencer, how are you this week? Uh, feeling about as tense as this episode was. Man, was this episode just about people spiraling and waiting to find ways to murder each other. So you made a comment before we got on. We do a little chatting beforehand because we are friends. And you said that it, a lot happened, but not as much as we expected. And that's a, I, I was actually kind of mad because that's exactly what I wanted to talk about with this episode. Is that like yeah. a lot happened, but like nowhere near what we expected. I mean, me and you were, were betting on how many, if people would die, how many people would die in this episode. It seemed to me that they really punted all of the season long questions to the finale. Yeah, it, there was a lot of, like, horizontal movement. People were vibrating in place and going in all kinds of different directions. Forward progression of the overarching plot? Not much. It was more like the collective holding of breath and, like, building up the nervous tension to punch somebody throughout this episode to what I'm sure is going to be a climactic finale. So one thing about the finale that I found interesting is that they have they did not give screeners to anyone. Really? Not a single Sight critic. Unknown. Not a single critic has seen it. So, like, no one knows what's in the finale. Hmm. That that tells me that they are going to do some obviously pretty big reveals in the finale. I think there's going to be some twists. So this is episode six titled Abductions. I counted at least two abductions that occurred in this episode. So I guess plural plural is appropriate. I counted two. I, I think at least two, maybe three, depending on how we define the terms. So this is a Mangum Talks podcast. We review episode by episode the White Lotus. If you enjoy this podcast, if you've just found us, you're just figuring out what Mangum Talks is and you want to listen to more of our stuff, just go to any podcast platform that you use. Heck, the one you're using right now, type in Mangum Talks or go to www.mangumtalks.com. You can check out all of our stuff. Spencer and I review a lot of prestige television. We've reviewed things like The Mandalorian, Succession, Ted Lasso, House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones. We've reviewed a lot of really good stuff. So if you like this podcast, you want to hear us gab some more, check that out. Spencer, I do have to make a plug though i this week podcast professional i am am doing the podcast while not at home i am across the country i am in sunny los angeles california and i am here for the game of thrones con the first official con for a convention for game of thrones being put on by hbo and if you're Mm. into game of thrones if you're into house of the dragon any of that stuff i will be putting up a review episode where i do a podcast reviewing the con talking about any news that breaks there any of the things that i overhear in the various interviews with the stars that will be there the hbo executives or ryan condal who's the showrunner for hbo any of those folks anything i overhear that's worthy i think um of you know news for game of thrones fans i will be doing a podcast where i talk about that that will be over on the pot of the dragon feed so that's a podcast feed we have where we review house of the dragon it's called pot of the dragon so if you want to listen to that go check it out but that's why i am in sunny los angeles california this week spencer spending all day wandering around beverly hills and shopping in the most exclusive of venues as you do as you do i did go to beverly hills i gotta say i I can do a quick review of beverly hills it's a stay away you don't need to go (laughs) stay away wasn't picturing it to be your kind of your kind of cup of tea no, and about, but I'll tell you, I think there's a lot of folks uh, that we that we uh, cover here, a lot of characters that we cover here on White Lotus season two that probably would like Beverly Hills. It seems I, I, to be think, like a Tanya type place. I, I think for a lot of the people that are on both seasons of this show, Beverly Hills would be way too beneath them. That'd be for the average rich person. So if you're interested in the first official HBO, I guess HBO sponsored 
Game of Thrones Con, go over to the Pod of the Dragon feed, and that podcast will be up here in a couple days. But the issue at hand for this podcast is episode six of The White Lotus, the penultimate episode titled Abductions. We will go through our standard episode format here where I will lead the recap. Spencer will chime in, witty anecdotes, Mm -hmm. probably a lot of wisdom, I would say, in your comments, per usual. A lot of wisdom from Spencer, and then we'll go into our segments. We start with Best Line of the Episode. I and I alone, a member of Best Line of the Episode. But Spencer, every week, gamely, podcast professional that he is, supplies me with nominees, and I will select one or not. Sometimes I select (laughs) a line that he does not nominate. Then we will go to the segments that I think everybody really enjoys here on the White Lotus Review Podcast. Enjoy your stay where we do best line of the episode. Or no, we do, we'd start with best line of the episode, but then we will go to best vacation partner of the week, worst vacation partner of the week, and then we'll round it out with our death theories. And Spencer, we can run it back with death theories this week. I was worried we wouldn't be able to do this segment, but there's been no reveal on who dies. We don't know, so we can continue to do our death theories this week. And I think it will be fair to say that at the end of this episode, we're going to have options. Like, you know, we're going to have a few, like, 90% of the characters to possibly pick that could die before the next episode is done. They didn't take anybody off the board, really. Only people we know are going to live are the ones that we saw alive in the very first moments of this season. Everybody else on the plate. Yeah, episode six didn't really take anything take anything off the table here. So, all right, let's get into our recap. This is episode six, Abductions. Previously on has Tanya in Palermo, Palermo, Spencer, and Lucia and Albie. Albie and Dominic drama, Mia and Valentina and all that jazz. Couples retreat from hell, of course. And then we have Tanya discovering Jack and Quentin in the throes of it. So uh, we get the, the fallout from that discovery. So we start in the morning. And again, Albie and Lucia are having sex. Harper might not be a morning person, Spencer, but I'll tell you, Albie and Lucia are, in fact, morning people. I think we've discovered I, that. I, I think they're in the stage of their relationship where it doesn't matter whether it's morning, doesn't matter whether it's evening. If they're in reach of each other and there's time available, they'll make it work. Yeah, in the in your 20s, first about three months, pretty far for the course. Cuts Ethan, he's yeah. wide awake, sitting in the chair next to the bed. Harper wakes up. She's like, what are you doing? He's like, I feel like you don't believe me. And it's starting to drive me crazy. <laughs> Great way to start a day right there. I would say, um, it's not fair. You don't believe me. He says, it's not fair. Spencer, his method of trying to, you know, confront Harper without how he feels comes across as so petulant throughout this episode and doesn't start at a great point in that regard. Yeah. I mean, if somebody, if you feel like someone doesn't believe you, right. Yeah. Um, stomping your feet and screaming over and over again. I don't know why you don't believe me. Like, and repeating yourself over and over again, isn't really, I don't, I don't think that's a super effective way to get an adult to believe you like i mean maybe that's how children operate but it does i'm not sure how that how that's going to help ethan's case here i've personally found that just throwing a tantrum whenever someone has a disagreement with me and i'm trying to you know earn their trust and confidence in my maturity and you know ability to function as an adult straight up tantrum the only way to go so he says it's fucked up you don't believe me we've always been honest with each other she shot holes in that last episode yeah, quickly but he continues to say that over and over again so she decides to shoot a few more holes in it here she says no we haven't i mean we're not honest about about how we're not attracted to each other anymore Ooh. that one's out in the open now Ooh. or at we, least you're not attracted to me i get it you're on top of the world right now and she goes into that and he just kind of stop saying that stuff We've so. been pondering this for a while. This is some. This is a theory that you and I have shared that they have had some compatibility issues that have been clearly building for an age. It's good that they're talking about them. 
do you think she's right? Because he protests. Kind of. He doesn't really end the conversation really. fighting her that much. He doesn't. He does not. He never once says, I am attracted to you. It, more, that he, more when he's protesting, he doesn't want to have this talk. That's more what he's trying to stop right now. No you know how he could have shut it down? Just hop on her. Just have sex with her right now. Yeah. Obviously, I'm Done. attracted to you. I love you. Over. Let me demonstrate. Let me show you right now. It'd be over. Yeah, Actions he, speak loud. He's not willing to do that. He's not willing to say the words that he she wants to hear. Um, so she says, it's not about the cheat. It's not the cheating that bothers me. And he just starts screaming. There was no cheating. There was no cheating. There was no cheating. Again, with this sort of like petulant, yeah. sort of like childish reaction. She goes on to say, as what it says about us, that maybe there is something that has died, which is a tough thing in a relationship to put out in the open. She goes on to say that we're too young to be this old. That was a line right there. I liked that line quite a bit because that resonated. I understand that feeling. And I think it's one that we commented on is that they have kind of like an old married couple vibe. And we pondered whether, is this just how they run? Is this what works for them? Are they happy with this? With it being unclear at the time. Now I think it's getting more and more apparent that no, they're not. This is not a vein that particularly Harper is comfortable in. And I think Ethan's mostly just avoiding it. I think it's kind of on a, like, for some, for people who, I don't know how long these people have been married, right? But it seems like they've been married a while. 10 years, it, probably? Maybe somewhere around there? Let's say five. it's 10. Let's say it's okay. 10. That's not, we're too young to be this old. It's not a fair, let me amend it for Harper. Can I help? Can I amend it for Harper? However you need, yes. Okay. We're too young to be this old all the time. Yes. This, this being our everyday, only way we know how to interact with each other exactly. is grating on her. She wants exactly. to have, she wants a certain element of excitement. She wants a certain element of variety, of diversity in their lives. And they've fallen into not even just a rut, they've fallen at the bottom of a chasm for a point of view, and she doesn't see a way out. And his only response to this is to argue over a different thing and kind of ignore what she actually wants to hear from him right now. I mean, like, if she's saying, like, I, we should be, everything should be super exciting all the time, and I, my heart, I should be riveted all, if she's saying no. that, then I need to sit her in the same classroom as Portia. I don't think she's saying that. I think what she means I don't is, either. we're too old, we're too young to be this old all the time. Because right. if you're married for that long, they, you are going to go through long stretches where you're just, it's just days. Like, days run into each other, and you have exactly. routine, it's okay, but you gotta be able to break that routine to be excited from and time again, to time. And I think that's what she's, she's wondering, do we not have that gear anymore? And, and I think it's particularly apparent on where they are. They're on vacation. They're in Italy. They're Sicily. in Sicily. I hear it. You know what, Spencer? I hear it's a bit nicer than Beverly Hills. I, I, you know, I've actually heard that before too, particularly Noto. Got to go to Noto and Palermo. We're going city. to Noto. We're going to rent a boat, but, go into Palermo. If there's ever a place to not be in your rut, to not just be in the comfortable old folks' home relationship, it's on vacation in a place like this. And the you fact that think. they can't find a way out of that, they can't find a way to be something different than what they've been every day, it speaks horrible things in volumes. So I've got two score, I've got scorecards here, right? I got the Ethan scorecard and the Harper scorecard. Every yes. time I write a check on the scorecard, I'm upset with the person, okay? Do you have enough room on a piece of paper for these two? I just want to set the ground rules for how I'm going to do the rest of this. This I understand review. So two two scorecards. If I say check, I'm not happy with one of them, right? So she says we're too young to be this old. Check because I don't think she said that correctly. He says, "Well, I've just been dealing with a lot. Work's been insane," and she just mentally checks out of that. So let's go over to the Harper 
check because that's not fair, right? Because he probably has been dealing with a lot. It's not okay sure. to just completely dismiss that from him. That certainly isn't a way to get him back into the fold. I agree. To dismiss his feelings, right? Um, and then he says, we could work on it. We can work it out. Okay. Boom. Let's go to a check over here on Ethan. Cause he's not saying the thing he needs to say, which is that she's attractive and that he does find her attractive. He wants to have sex with her. Et cetera, yeah. et cetera. She says, do you even want me? He says, I love you. She says, "Ugh, that's so depressing. Boom. Let's do a check over here on Harper. So it's just a completely fun. What I'm, my point here is that they, it's just two people back stumbling back in the forth. dark, fucking what? up this whole thing. I don't it, see anybody doing this right. It was a well done scene in that regard because the moment he said "I love you," I flinched because it's not what it was the not at all what she asked. It was a complete dodge on the question. He is incapable of actually providing her the reassurance or even the words she wants to hear right now, and she's realizing that. She said that she she asked him that like it's fucked up, right? Because like to, if somebody says "I love you" and you go "Ugh, that's so depressing," that's not it's a not, great answer. Not a it great isn't. answer from you. It is. But. So, but she did say, do you even want me? So you, you make a good point that he didn't answer the question that she asked. Right? She may- says, he's like, I love you is depressing. She's like, no, 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 whatever. Fine. I love you too. Are you going running or what? It may- it may- this is the kind of conversation of where there's no way to do it clean. It's awkward. It's difficult. Yeah. This is a hell of a conversation to be having 10 years into a relationship or however long they've been. Nobody gets out of this thing going perfectly clean or everything going according to anything resembling a script. To a degree, a script even exists. So it's great they're having this talk. Neither of them carries it that great, but I don't know if there's a way they could have. Because they both well, bring they both bring a lot where, of unpleasantness to this. This is where some baseline of therapy I think can help people, right? Because like neutral third party present is a great idea. No, not that. I don't. I don't think you need a referee. I think like just the being able to establish a sort of set of ground rules for how to have a conversation like this. For instance, like not dismissing somebody else's feelings, using I statements, Mm -hmm. answering questions when directly asked those questions and not dodging them. Like these are really basic things. It sounds like when I say them out loud, but for a lot of people, they aren't, they they aren't intuitive and like therapy can help you learn to talk in that manner. When you're in a high stress conversation, I think both of these people would do would benefit from that. I strongly agree. What let's if we if we were to view this positively, this is the first conversation where they realize that they need help. This is the conversation of where it is now out in the open that they need to talk to somebody right now if they want to make their relationship work. That's a positive thing, even if it goes through a fair amount of unpleasantness on screen right here. So cut to Cameron waking up. Daphne says, "You know, she's pretty convinced you didn't you did something bad while we were in Noto." Cameron sort of laughs it off and's like, "What? Like what? Like what did I do so bad?" Daphne's like, "I don't know." What did you do this time? That was wow. a cutting line right there. Cameron says, I told you, we partied. How hard did you party? She, he says, so fucking hard, so fucking hard, because you abandoned me. And he climbs in, he comes on top of her, starts He's... kissing. They're making joke of it. They're they're talking around the issue. He says, how about you? Did you did you fuck any guys in Noda? She says, everyone. And he says, you're going to pay. And they keep kissing. I'd like to point out the parallel in these two couples, right? Harper claimed at the very beginning of this show that Daphne and Cameron's relationship is in essence window dressing. They don't talk about real stuff, right? Well, here we see it on display. The conversation between Daphne and Cameron is so shockingly superficial that it it jarred me. While Ethan and Harper, to your point, a lot of checks on their scorecards, but they're at least having the conversation. Right. So I do think in, in some weird respect kind of validates what Harper was saying, which is that like 
at least we talk to each other. These two fucking nutballs. They, it's all it's all fake. It's all a facade. They're making it's even worse. It's it, it, very true. It's even worse that they're making a mockery of the adult conversation they should be having. They're tu- they're turning and twisting the dealing with their respective sins and difficulties, whatever else, into nothing more than role play. It's a costume they put on for the sake of excitement for a moment, rather than anything that's real to their relationship. They're cosplaying a relationship in order to have sex. Yes, that is exactly what they're doing. Yes. But I don't think there's anything else about this that's real. Like that, I think they pretend to have a relationship. They do what they have to do to not have their feelings hurt so that they can have be it. Cause every, like it's, it's, it's such a great parallel, right? Because it seems to me that Harper and Daphne have everything but the physical. And it seems to me that Cameron and Daphne have only the physical, yeah. right? Like, and you're kind of it kind of thrust it to you, the viewer, to say which one is better. Right here, here's two extremes of the same problem. Please make a judgment call. It's like I don't like either right now, but I got more hope than for one than the other. Well, I, I think I would I would think I would prefer Ethan and and Harper if if the answer to I haven't had sex in a while and I I wish I had. If that answer is it, I'm going to fuck your friend. Like if if they if they, if they come up with <laughs> yeah. a different answer, then I think that's preferable. <laughs> so, let let this be clear. Your baseline for tolerating relationship is not in a mood to fuck my friend. Just yeah. once we can arrange that, exactly. there's hope for them. Right? If there. you can have an, if you could go through a period of uncomfortability, not getting everything you want out of the relationship, and you can have awkward conversations, and your reaction is it, I'm going to fuck your best friend. I don't know. I think I think yeah. I think they probably are preferable to this because this existence that Cameron and Daphne have, I want no parts of it. I don't I even want to be around of it. I don't even want to I mean, be around it. It's one of those, the relationship that Cameron and Daphne have, I would want to say it's a ticking time bomb, but I think it's worse than that. I think it is actually like, you know, nuclear waste that's just going to fester and rot forever. Exactly. The bomb's already gone off. It's not, there's not, there, it's, it's We're not. We're in the it, aftermath. Welcome to the wasteland. You're not seeing anything. Yeah. It, Cuts Tanya and Porsche at breakfast. Notice Porsche has the Godfather shirt on. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Hey, got it while she's there. She's wearing that. So the actress who plays Portia, she's the one who picked out her outfits. So all the people online really? are trashing the outfits of Portia. It's that's authentic. Who you, that's who you blame. But I think that this was brilliant because I have talked on this podcast network many, many times about how I think the young generation gets a bad rap. My, it's my experience that young people have their shit together a lot better than I did at that age. I think young people are doing pretty well. However... However, I do think it's kind of on brand for a millennial to wear a t-shirt of a movie they've never watched. I do think that's pretty <laughs> fucking on, on brand. Yeah, particularly if it has a certain degree of heritage and vintage attached to it, yes. Or even the, even the, the, what is, the, what's the, what's the generation after the millennials? Generation Y or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. Well, 20 Z. something. Z, Z, yeah. Z, Z is the new one. Z. There's one after them now. It's very Generation Z for her to be wearing that shirt. When two days earlier she was like, "Yeah, I don't know. I think I've seen like part of it. I don't know." Um, so Tanya <laughs> An old guy says, told me about it, and it sounded kind of stupid. But you know, it's a good shirt. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just got it at my favorite sneaker store. So Portia <laughs> asked Tanya how the opera was. Tanya says, "Oh, you know, she died." That is a summary of Madame Butterfly, right there. Who? Nope, Madame Butterfly. I love good talk there. Hey, let's be fair. This is the best breakfast talk the two of them have had in the entire series right here in this scene. 
Well, it's better than yesterday's, right? Because she's listening, right? Because Tanya, yeah, I think the day before, literally wasn't even listening. Um, she asked Portia how her night was. Portia says it was fun. We almost got arrested. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. I didn't see a single police I, officer. You, I just was, saw one storekeeper chasing after you. That's not. They almost, almost got arrested. yelled at by a guy. That's not almost arrested. Because we didn't pay for our Arancina. Arancini. Tanya seems upset by this. Arancini's cost a dollar. Portia laughs it off. Now I, I'm with Tanya on this. Tanya's like, it costs a dollar. You have a dollar. Why are you? Why are you stealing it from these people? When we, we, yes, they. All of this looks really good for us, but we, everyone, seemingly on this vacation knows that there is a lot of systemic poverty in this area and high unemployment. Bert That's talks about it later in the lot, episode. Yeah. Everybody knows this. For her to be stealing something as basic as an Arancini does not sit right with Tanya. And shout out to Tanya for that. Shout out to Tanya for being a good motherly influence. But Portia doesn't seem to get that at all, though, where, where, where Tanya's coming from. She, again, as you said, just kind of laughs it off as a fun evening. Wasn't that exciting when we screwed that shop owner out of, out of the money for the food we got from him? Tanya suggests she slow down with this guy. Portia's like, why? I don't know. Hey, uh, uh, Professor, can I, can uh, I answer? Y- y- yes, Lee, they're in the back. I have an idea. Because you're working. How about you slow down on the dating because you're working, Portia? How about that? Is that a crazy idea? Uh, uh, m- m- Mr. M- Mr. Waterfield, we- we've discussed this before. This is not among the list of concern for this character. It has been frequently established that the fact that she's employed in no way influences her decision-making at any point whatsoever. Now, we're going to reassess that before we're done with this episode. But at least to date, the fact she's employed merits... Would it factor into her top 10 daily concerns? No. No, I'm she with... doesn't seem to even be aware that she's working. It seemed, it really feels like to me that she thinks she's on a vacation with her family. Now, is this a product? I mean, we can debate many things what this is a product of. Probably is a product of the fact that this is her first job. She's not both job experience. It's not that discipline in that regard. Is it also, though, the fact that the nature of her job is ambiguous just due to what Tanya is looking for and needs from her? Yeah, I'm sure a, that's part of it. I'm sure it's part of it. But like, yeah, and in and, and, and that respect, I do have a little sympathy for Portia because she does, she often doesn't know what she's supposed to be doing. But mm-hmm. I do I do think it's not – I don't think it's too much to ask for her to know that this isn't a personal vacation. She At this point, what she should know more than anything is you're on call. Yeah. That's – you when you are needed, you are available. That's the nature of your job. Whatever it may be in the moment, whatever, but you are on call when she requires that of you. And I don't so think she fully gets that. I run the Mangum Talks Twitter account. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not going to shock any of our listeners that you have nothing to do with that. It's no, at Mangum Talks, so go give us a follow if you want to hear what, is it? Um, it, what we're doing next or my thoughts on pretty much anything. But because I am running that, right, because I do run that um, uh, Twitter account, <laughs> One really funny thing happens. I get a lot of updates about White Lotus, right? And mm-hmm. I have very recently been getting an awful lot of people who work as personal assistants commenting and saying, like, she shouldn't be bitching about having to do, quote, personal things for Tanya. Because that's the nature that's of job. a personal assistant, right? Because they're saying, like, yeah, when she gets lonely, she wants to talk. It's like, yeah, that's what a personal assistant is. Like... Yeah, sometimes, like, you're having to, like, figure out the nature, like, how her and her husband are doing to gauge her mood to figure out what she might need for the day. That's Mm -hmm. a personal assistant. Like, that's what the – these are people who 
proclaim on Twitter anyway, to work in that space who say this isn't abnormal and that Portia shouldn't just be stiff arming every single personal thing that comes from Tanya. Also, good personal assistants are often expected to not just simply respond to orders. They're supposed to, you know, have an existing understanding of the person they're working for and what they'll need and what their day will be without having to be specifically directed. Porsche's not even in the same league as that shit, but base minimum, we want her to actually, you know, be on hand to respond to the personal things that Tanya calls for. She at best does that begrudgingly. Yeah, it's just, I, I don't know, I, it... I think when we started this podcast, I kind of gave gave Portia a little bit. I was like, yeah, I, I understand you don't want to be like involved in all this personal stuff. But like what I'm hearing from people is that like that's the nature of a personal yeah, assistant. That's how it like, works. Just get over it. If, if you don't like that, then it, don't do that and job. It shouldn't be a surprise to her at this point. So um, anyway, back to the conversation. Tanya says this is in response to why she should slow down with Jack. Tanya says something about the relationship with his uncle. I don't think he's his uncle. Portia's like, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Why would you say that, Tanya? It's just a strong hunch. It's just a strong hunch, Pants. If you were Tanya, please imagine that for a moment. I would love to see you play out that scenario. Would but love if to. You, I think Tanya's great. Would you have told Portia what you saw? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. She should have. I can understand why it's uncomfortable to do so, but you. This is information that Tanya kind of the portion you kind of needs to know. So I think that sometimes people who are older, who have a relationship with someone who is, eh, say, 20, 25 years younger than them, too often will fall into familial, like like motherly, fatherly sort of relationship when they really shouldn't, right? Um, if you hear if you hear like a little bit of background noise right now, it's because I'm in L.A. and the ice cream truck is literally coming down the street. Isn't that so nice? The go, ice cream go, truck running down the street. Run for it, sir. Go catch it. Uh, isn't that so cute? Ice cream. I love that. I love that. L.A. is the best. Okay, so back to the podcast. I, I people fall into this thing of like I when I see you, I see my daughter, right? Very and curious. that that can be a problem, right? Because a it can be off putting for the young person because they're like you're sure. not my parent. But two, it can also prevent them from giving the advice they truly should give. I say that to say because I think Tanya really is starting to view Portia as almost like a daughter figure for her. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't want to disappoint her. That's why she doesn't tell her about Jack and Quentin. She just doesn't want to disappoint her. But if she would have told her about Jack and Quentin, so things would things would go so much better from here on out, right? Because Portia would not have gotten abducted by Jack or at least would have forced herself back to the party. Tanya would have had a check on some of the things that occur later in the party and maybe some of the bad things that we think are going to happen to Tanya as a result of all this won't happen. So it would have been better if she could have just told the truth. But I just think this like sense of like, oh, you remind me of like a daughter is stopping her from being being honest in the way that she should. Yeah, and if she had been, you want to find a way to make their relationship closer, give her, give her this honest information that you have right now. She might bitch you out in the moment, but tomorrow, later on today, she's going to trust you in a way she hasn't previously that you've told her this. Because in reality, these are two adults who don't have, who aren't family, right? Yeah. So she should feel comfortable telling her this stuff. So Tanya says, Portia, when I see you, I see it, just reaffirming what I just said. When I see you, I see a younger version of me. When I was a little girl, my mother used to dress me up like a doll and when I was a little doll waiting for, I was always waiting for someone to play with me. When you are empty inside, you have no direction. You'll end up in some crazy places, but you'll still be lost. Tanya, I'd like to isolate. Bars. Give that, give that to you 45 minutes later in the episode. 
because the exact same thing happens to Tanya 45 minutes later in the episode. You want something in keeping with Tanya, spouting some remarkable wisdom in the moment and com- <clears throat> completely forgetting to apply it to yourself 45 minutes later. Man, I'm telling you. Uh, Portia's like, what are you trying to say? Tanya then finally says what we all want her to say. Get your shit together, Portia. <laughs> well said. Sp- streamline that philosophical conversation right there. Quentin comes in, ask her how she slept. Ask you, Tanya, how she slept. She's still not well. Heard some strange noises in the night. <laughs> I thought this would be a great mm. place for her to just say it. Well, uh, I didn't sleep too well because I saw your nephew having sex with you in the middle of the night. <laughs> so what's for that. drinks? Yeah, I, that would have been a hell of a moment right there. It's like, so, yeah, you know, you and your nephew, do you switch? Please talk. Breakfast conversation. I think it would have ended this whole masquerade if she'd have just done that. Quentin, but I'll say this about Quentin. He is nothing if not socially adept. Skillfully blows right by that. Says, oh, yeah. no, well, we'll need you refresh, refreshed. You're the guest of honor tonight. Mm. Playing right to Tanya's weakness. Tanya turns right around, starts smiling, and then the conversation ends. By the end of this episode, I am even more convinced that, Quist, that Quentin is if a, a master manipulator, likely a paid master manipulator. And it is readily <laughs> apparent in every scene once you look at it in that lens. He's really good. He is really socially skillful. Um, yes. He knows his trade. So cut to Dominique, Bert, and Albie. They are talking about finally. This is like day, what, six? Day six. They're finally going to go see Leaving their tomorrow. It's the whole purpose of this fucking vacation. Uh, Dominic mentions that he knew a guy who did the exact same thing, and they found their entire extended families. They had lunch, and they drank wine, et cetera, et cetera. You yeah. know, in retrospect, this is not a good story to tell Bert. It got his hopes up a little bit. I don't know that Dominique really... It doesn't seem to me that Dominique had a an idea that Bert would be this let down if it didn't go well. But in retrospect, I don't think this helped anything. No. And if they were to plan this in the future, I'm willing to bet that his friend Marty probably called in advance. Probably planned bet. and arranged things just a little. But yeah, this... If he could have already added to this point, because you have to imagine Bert has been building this up in his mind for years with respect to this trip. This is a culmination of his life in some ways, to finally be back and see the family, whatever else. So I don't know how much Dominique's adding to it, but it ultimately doesn't help. In the moment, it's a nice thing to say to your dad about, oh, isn't this going to be great, whatever else. But man, does it go off the tracks by the end. Bert lights up at that, ah, a real homecoming. That would be nice. Albie says he found them a translator. We all know who the translator is, but I don't Never think Albie, I don't think Dominique or Bert now. Cut to Valentina. She sees Salvatore. He's talking to Isabella. And Isabella's kind of looking at Valentina as he's talking. Help. Like, Help. Yeah, please. Help. And Valentina does go over, tells him to, well, before she goes over, she basically tells him to shut up. And you notice when she tells him to shut up, it lasts like five seconds? I don't even think it was Seven? that long. He was kind of like, eh, and just kept going. Well, kept talking. It's unbelievable. I guess he got a little bit quieter, maybe? Yeah. So up comes Lucia and Mia. Lucia asks if there's anything there left for her. Lucia Grego. Anything left for Lucia Grego? Valentina says no. She has Salvatore, who's talking to Isabella. He seems annoyed that she cut him off she on whatever he was talking by, about. Yeah. I'm chatting up a girl here right Salvatore. now. Salvatore. work? Salvatore sucks. He really is a yeah. bad... You talk about a bad employee. Uh, he's terrible. Um, Lucia's upset, right? Because as established in the last episode... The system was that Cameron was going to go get some money from the bank, put it in an envelope, leave it at the front desk for her. He has clearly not done so, which I got to give you, Spencer, all the credit in the world. You called it. Shout out, Spencer. You called it. How much was I going out of the limb for that one right there? 
Yeah, I know. I'm sort of joking around. Yeah, everybody knew. Like, it's... Uh, Lucia he, didn't. Lucia Cameron clearly just actually believed this, which is amazing. Well, that's because she doesn't see all the Cameron that we see, right? Like, she doesn't know this guy from Adam. Like, we see... We know Cameron, and we're like, there's no way he's going to fucking do this. I, I, I don't know that many, you know, um, working women... Uh, on a personal basis, but I have to assume it's a part of the industry trade that don't trust somebody's going to pay you later after the night is done. I think so. I think that's true, but I, I, I'm not sure Lucia's used to working with this high end clientele. This is fair. And so she might just be expecting like thinking like, well, I don't know. These guys are rich. Like it won't be a big deal to them. She might be thinking the rules are different. I'm, I am sure that if she just showed up at your apartment complex, like if you just called in a, like a call girl number or something and she could have showed up at your apartment complex, you specifically, you Spencer, your apartment complex and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. walked in and you know, did her job. She would not allow you to pay later, but I think she's just thinking these guys are like uber wealthy. They're at a five star resort. Like I, I kind of had a little sympathy for her there for believing him. I think there's also some implication that she's not that many, maybe even months into this trade. I, I think it's still pretty new hat to her. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so, cut to Lucia. Uh, oh, no, a really great moment where Messia, uh, Mia asked Valentina if she liked her performance yesterday. Valentina cuts her conversation off right away. She says, I don't have time for this. Done. Of course, she doesn't want to talk to her because the last conversation was pretty awkward with Mia, but Mia just keeps staring at her and smiling and is like, okay, if you don't want to talk like it's so flirty and cool, Mia's doing herself a lot of favors here. That, that worked. That, she, that was a very effective scene for her. It, it is. It's also made a little bit more awkward for, for Valentina too, because from her perspective, what the woman that she's actually crushing on is right there. And she doesn't want to be seen flirting with another woman, ever the woman flirting with her in front of her while she's still making eyes on her. That's a great point. I hadn't thought of that. Cut to Lucia. She storms up to Ethan, bans her money. Ethan is, I would say, flummoxed. Can we call him flummoxed? Caught off guard. At a base minimum, yes. He just got back from a very hard run. It was funny when they were showing him running. You know, I, I'm not like a great runner by any stretch. My wife's much better than I am. But I do run. Mm. And I was watching him. I was like, that is an unreasonable pace. And I thought that they were just going too fast with their camera, you know, because they're having to. The, the camera's having to go, you know, this, like they're, the camera's on a, on a track and they're, they're moving the camera. I thought yeah. they'd just move the camera too fast, but then they cut to him and he was soaked with sweat. And I was like, okay, whew, at least they showed that this is a hard run. Cause that was a quick pace, man. It, the guy was trying to work out some shit. Clearly this was the kind of run of where he wanted it to hurt a little bit. Yeah, clearly. Um, so he's flummoxed. He says, look, we have money. Like, I just didn't know you, you didn't get paid. He's telling her the truth here, right? Yeah, but I don't, think, I don't think she doubts him to any degree. I don't think she's putting this on him other than the fact that it's his friend that didn't pay. I think she starts the conversation angry, but what, she, Lucia has a pretty good read on people, I think. She and does. She, I think she believes Except him. But I think, well, yeah, that's, I guess. Um, but I mean, it, she seems pretty socially adept. And like yeah, when he fair. starts talking, I think she believes him, but she's just already sort of worked up. But of course, Spencer, who turns the corner? Harper. Of course she does. Why? Because it's a television show. Television show. Yeah. If drama can occur between two characters, the the, the lens of the camera will find a means. Harper turns corner, sees him. When she sees him, uh, the most anxiety-producing music ever starts to play. I got to tell you, a lot of what works in this show is based around the music and the soundtrack. And it's so subtle that I think a lot of people would not necessarily put their finger on that. But I think that's what steers you emotionally in the right direction or right meaning where they want you to go 
it is a scene intensifier a lot of the time rather than necessarily a scene unto itself with obstructive music. And I like that. It does play it well. Also, Arbor Plaza's expression here of a fucking course was also well played to emphasize that too. For sure. Yeah, I cut to Valentina who walks up to Salvatore and Isabella. She sends Salvatore away. She tells Isabella, it's my birthday. It's my birthday. Uh, she asks her if she has nothing to better to do. She could, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe if you, I don't know. Uh, ooh, uh, maybe go have toast with me. Maybe, maybe, maybe. It's pretty uncomfortable. I, I, I got to ask you, sir. You, you've, you've run employees. You've dealt with HR matters before. Out of 10, how do you score her performance as a boss right now in terms of an employee interaction? One being immediately fired. 10 being, you know, gold star employee of the year. It's really low. I mean, it's it's terrible. She's asking her direct report out on a date, which is should be obviously absolute, blatantly, which should be out. You know, absolutely uh, not allowed. I, I I struggle to be too hard on Valentina because, I, man, I feel so bad for her. I really do. Uh, but she's being an awful boss here. She's, that's not, true. she's not doing right. I mean, whatever sympathy empathy we have for this character, she is not doing right here. That's true. That's true. But, I mean, let me ask you this. Do you think she knows that she's doing wrong? I think she, if she doesn't, I think that's even worse. That's what I'm saying. I think she, I, I my headcanon is that she got this job through uh, some sort of like. Pure nepotism. Pure nepotism, which you put in my head in like episode one. If that's the case, she might not even know that she's fucking up here because she's pretty casual about it. She doesn't seem to have any sort of any sort of regret or any sort of uh, be feeling bad or anything about having asked her employee out on a date. We, it is fair to say that we have, I don't think, at any real point seen that she is anything other than base minimum acceptable at her job. And most of what we've seen has actually been pretty bad given the particular nature. We've of talked her about her being pretty bad at her job before. Yes. It, it's barely even a meets expectations attached to most of the performance we've seen so far. And a lot of it is flying and fly in the face of that. So I still would have to believe that any person operating in this kind of level of profession would have to know that asking out your employee and placing them in that position is not acceptable. We talked about last season that it was uncomfortable enough with, you know, Tanya asking out one of the, uh, uh the masseuse that was working on her for that particular thing. How uncomfortable that was, how awkward position that put that employee in. When it's your boss? Dear Christ. Yeah, it's pretty rough. But Isabella says yes. And then Valentina backs away over to the other counter and immediately starts berating the guy there, which I thought was pretty funny. Why are you here? <laughs> Back in old form. But, you know, constantly making eyes over at Isabella. Spencer, question for you. At this point, do you think Isabella gets the vibes? I think Isabella got the vibe like three days ago. I don't think it, I think Isabella has been aware of what's going on for a while and is trying to find some means of exiting this while still maintaining her job. Cut to Ethan, who sits down. He can immediately tell something is wrong with Harper. Uh, she says, I just saw you talking to the Italian hookers. Hookers, I, she's, that's her word, hookers. I love that she's just out front about this. I like that they're talking because... I was really going to be annoyed if they're like, this is another thing they're going to keep hidden for an episode until it comes up later. I really appreciate that she's just straight out in the open. But dude, what the fuck? We just talked. We yeah. just been discussing this. And I see you with, you know, the prostitutes right there in the hallway. Come on. Yeah. He sort of huffs. Um, and she says, please stop gaslighting me. 
And he's like, I'm not gaslighting you. I could explain everything. I just can't talk about it right now. And then Daphne and Cameron woke up. This is the moment you go to the breakfast buffet together. You two leave and you complete your conversation. You don't allow someone to interrupt this. Well, every moment is the moment that you go to the breakfast buffet with your partner. I mean, like that is not, that's a every morning, multiple times a morning situation. I assure you, some of the best moments of our relationship have been us hand in hand at the buffet together, just staring over the majesty that is our morning. I can only imagine cuts, Ethan, uh, or no, cuts a Portia now. Um, Oh, before we get to Portia, have you ever seen anybody eat toast as angrily as Harper ate toast there? Like, I, I, I love the stage direction that she was, that Aubrey Plaza was given. It was like, eat toast angrily. Nailed uh, I, it. I, feel, I felt bad for the toast. Toast didn't earn that. Uh, toast did not merit that level of scoring directive. Toast was just doing its job. She was upset. Cut to Portia, who walks outside, starts to walk around. Jack runs up. Ah! Scares her. Scared a little baby, did I? Did I? Mm. Jack tells her that uh, he has a car. He wants to go get beer and ice cream. Beer and ice cream, Spencer. That sounds like a good afternoon to you. I think it sounds like a great. Uh, I think it sounds like a great afternoon for the hooligan that we increasingly realize this episode. This guy is. Yeah, but I didn't ask that. I asked for you. Is that a good afternoon for Spencer? Beer and ice cream. I actually don't like mixing beer and ice cream. I don't think the flavors work. I'm not sure many people do. I don't think he was ever planning on it. I think he was just going to eat, drink beer the whole time. Yeah. Um, she says yes, but uh, she wants to be back for the parties. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're back. We're back for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have any confidence whatsoever that they would be back? I had no reason to doubt him at this point. See, here's the thing. I know that Jack is a fuck-up. Portia should know that, too, because she's she's filtering for fuck-up. That's what she wants. She wants yes. a guy who's, like, on tilt all the time. So, like, she shouldn't be surprised with what she's got. But that's what I knew we had that. But, like... I didn't know that he was just not going to take her back. No, I, I didn't. I didn't believe that. No, I didn't know. I didn't know that. This was one of the moments that was reaffirming like theories I've already been having. Is like, oh, he's getting her out of the picture. Moment he said that, like, oh, he's purposefully getting her out of the off the island at this time for this purpose. And then it was like straight up, oh God, what's planned for Tanya before this episode's over? So we both believed that Quentin was involved in some Had sort of scam something. scheme, something yeah. for Tanya. We get a little hint as to where that's going, and it's way deeper than I thought it was. I was not expecting the particular link back to someone. Straight up, no. Greg. Greg's coordinating Greg. this. Didn't believe Greg, it. Gre no, I believe it. Gre Greg is the cowboy. Greg is I the cowboy. I didn't. Did you did, look? Did you have that theory no. that Greg would be the cowboy? I didn't I, either. But apparently, a bunch of people on Twitter claimed they did. But like, I did not think that never crossed my mind. It, it did not until we got to see the. Until we saw the picture, I was like, oh, fuck. Okay, and they Greg's put a cowboy cow. hat on Greg to make sure you knew. Like, they wanted like, to make sure you knew. Yeah. 10-gallon hat, what is this called? Yeah. It made it very apparent there. I was expecting some degree of plotting by the high-end gays with Tanya to, like, you know, squelch money out of her and they want to get Porsche out of the way. That's about as far as I was going with respect I to thought this. that this is a scam that Quentin runs all the time. Yeah. Because Jack repeatedly that, said... Yeah. He he brings old, quote, old hags over all the time. So I thought this was like some sort of scheme he routinely runs and she's just the next one in the bunch. No, this is this is Ocean's Eleven. This is the big heist like that he has been planning for with with Greg the entire time. Now, the two aren't mutually exclusive. This could be his regular racket. Just as you said, now he's hitting the five, the three, the three different Vegas casinos. This is a I... much higher end thing that's that he's coordinating with for and by somebody else. 
But yeah, but the fundamentals of the scheme have to be a little different this time because like yes. Greg delivered Tanya there. I think there's going to be something with the prenub and all. I think the, I think there's I, more to this. But yeah, he clearly does work on quote old hag. I don't I, like that, but that's what he calls old hags from time to time. But you're right; it's, it's a fundamentally different type of scheme here. I, th- I think his usual method is playing off their sympathies and you know, working always oh, in the art beauty. Oh, wouldn't you do anything for beauty? I think we got to see a bit of that last episode. The bringing in the male, you know, the guy to seduce Tanya. The prob- probably interfering with the uh, loyalty clause and the prenup, everything else along those lines. No, that is for the guy that we heard last episode. He would still do anything for. So Quentin watches them take off, smoking a cigarette. Super evil villain vibes galore here. I mean, yeah. just like for any of us who are old comic book fans, like just the 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 villain in the white suit smoking a cigarette, watching you as you walk away. It's like perfect, perfect. This, this is blowout. Yeah, this is straight James Bond villain right now. <laughs> Cut to Bert, Dominique, and they're walking outside of the car. Bert says, wouldn't it be incredible if we actually found some distant relatives? And when he says it, he's almost crying. Yes. Dominic, son of the year, says, yeah, but just try not to fall before you get in the car. Good Lord, does Dominic suck at all? He's just the fucking worst. I'm going to defend Dominic. Go ahead. Just fucking defend him. No, no, Go ahead. Not, not here. Not here. It's not here. But later, he actually does some decent things like we've seen from him previously. This, well, come on, like, you, your dad's excited, he's he's amped, like, why would you, like, throw him being old back in his face I yet took, again? It's just... I, both I and Bert took it as teasing. It didn't no, seem like No, I don't Bert think Bert hard. did. I didn't, I, Bert, the look on Bert's face when he says it, I mean, Bert does it, he's not going to stop progress for anything, right? Like, no. he's... He's going to have a good time. We've talked about this, but he did go, Oh, why'd you have to say like, it was, that's what I took it as. I took it as a, Oh, why did you have to mess up the moment? Basically? That's what I took it as. I think he took it that way, but I don't think he took it that personally. I think, I think he was like, come on, dude, we're hitting a vibe here. We're trying to build up to what's going to be a great moment, but I don't think, I don't think it wrecked the mood. I think he was just commenting up. No, come on, stay in lane for a moment. Well, you're not going to wreck the mood with Bert. He's just capable. He's very capable. Someone's going to find a way to wreck the mood before the end of this episode. Old Italian grandmothers can wreck the mood like nobody's business. That's a different situation. Like little snide comments that are inappropriate. Bert will not stop. Bert will not stop progress for them. Very true. So I don't, I don't necessarily take his, like him failing to go, Dominic, why'd you say that you're a piece of shit to mean that he wasn't offended by it. I think he was, he's repeatedly tried to show Dominic. He doesn't want to be thought of as an old man. He doesn't want to be talked about like an old man. Like, why does Dominic keep throwing that he's old back in his face? I, I don't know. I, t- I I was more troubled by that clearly than you were. I think I think it's just evidence of Dominic not being able to pick up on what's important to his father and and play on those things. Like he and and, and it, it fundamentally comes back to me that Dominic doesn't care if his dad has a good time. Like I don't I don't think he gives a fuck if his dad has fun. I think he cares a little. The fact that he's doing this, the fact that he's arranged this whole vacation, the fact he's driving to get them there, I think he cares a bit. The degree we can debate to the horses come home, cows come home. Yeah, I don't know. Um, he certainly is not doing the little things that would tell me he's trying to like put his dad in the best position. He just like constantly tearing him down. I don't know. That's how it's like it. But um, so then Albie comes up and introduces the translator, Lucia Grego Spencer. We've seen her before. Dominic just freezes up. I thought it was really interesting. My wife pointed this out. I thought it was a great point. That they put Dominic behind sunglasses for this. Mm-hmm. 
So you couldn't see like the bulk of his facial expressions. You just yes. see that he kind of freezes. But I, I kind of envision behind the sunglasses, his eyes are like big as saucers, right? Straight up fixed dilated. Yeah. Yeah. She says, um, Bert says, Hey, how are you? I, I've seen you around. And she says, Oh yes, I am always around. I love this hotel. And then someone from the hotel calls her over and she walks over to them. What's that about? He also doesn't even say like, Hey miss, or excuse me, madam, or anything along those lines. He literally says, Hey Lucia. It's like, Oh, that's a different kind of thing right now. That is, What's that, that about? is some element of personal. But we, we have no indication that she knows the people who work at the hotel. Again, it, it depends on your level of paranoia here. Uh, it's perfectly possible that she's worked with him in the past. It's perfectly possible that he's a local friend. It's also perfectly possible that he's at, that she's working with him right now. I'm trying to set you up because you had. Are you, you finally? Su- my theories you called crazy. My theories. You I didn't. I didn't say they were crazy. Episode. I did not say they were crazy. You, I said certifiable. that you, so, no, I think the word you not. used. I said that if you were right. It would be a big home run because you're taking a big swing, how, and I think how you're close getting are you to my camp now. Forty percent, maybe 40%. that far. That far, yeah, you've come I am. I'm a lot farther. I'm trying to set you up with it because I think that if you are on the on the side that you debuted in the last episode of this podcast, which was that Lucia's setting all this up, that this yeah. is all this is a long con for Albie to get big money from him, then potentially you could you could read in that. Uh, her and Alesso have someone else there. It would make sense. Somebody who watches the travel in and out of the hotel that mm-hmm. you would be working with closely. That you can pass information to. They can call him to arrange it. it because yeah. Alesso does show up and happens to be able to find their car. In a very theatrical kind of way, too. It, it, last episode, I was kind of spitballing. I had some gr- growing concerns. This episode, I got evidence. Whether it's enough to convince people... Fine. Yeah, I, I I understand it's not in any way conclusive, but we get a bit here to say that to what degree is this real? To what degree is this well done live action theater? Yeah, I don't know, man. That that was sketchy to me because we just didn't get any sense that she knew anybody else from the hotel. But anyway, um, she leaves, and then you know, Albie uh, Dominique's like, I don't think it's a good idea. I thought, I thought the translator would be somebody who works at the hotel. Albie, Albie just shuts his dad down and says, dad, she's coming. Okay. So be polite, which, wow, it's kind of, he was a little, little firm with his father there. Uh, Bert uh, looks practicing at practicing being aggressive, sir. Remember that? Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, it just seemed like he didn't leave it up for discussion. It's like, I don't know. Dominic is still a person on this vacation. No. Like, I, he's allowed to say if he has a problem with it. Now, I mean, if he was doing this politely, which, again, he figured that they would say no, so he just didn't give them opportunity to do it, which is rude. If you wanted to actually, you know, treat them as, you know, co-members of this vacation, he would have brought it up at breakfast earlier and just said, Dad, she can translate. I want her to come. I want you to be okay with this. And lay it out right there. But he but knew he what he was doing. He was going to, he's going to talk, he's going to do it right at the last minute. So the Dominic wouldn't object, complain. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Bert looks at, Do- Albie walks away. Dominic looks at, Bert looks at Dominic and says, you're overreacting. You're giving yourself away. I love this line from Bert. What's wrong with you? Can't you just be cool? <laughs> I'm going to tell you this, Spencer. Bert's a cool man. I'm going to tell you this. When an 80-year-old man turns and looks at you and says, what's wrong with you? Can't you just be cool? You're wound too tight. Question your life choices. You are wound a little too tight if an 80-year-old man has to ask, ask you why you can't just be cool. Up comes a car. Dominic says, let's just leave. Bert comments to Lucia. Um, that he, she seems to know a lot of the staff around here. She says, uh, the guy she was talking to, 
Gatsby starts talking to is a brother of a friend of mine, and then they all leave. I bet he is. I bet he is actually the brother of the guy that we see later. I think so, too. Uh, on the road, Dominique keeps looking. Oh, uh, Dominique keeps looking back as Albie and Lucia are kissing a little and flirting in the back. Bert asks Lucia where she's from, Catania. So she said this a couple of times. I think this is really where she's yeah, from. Right. He asks her uh, how she speaks such good English. She says, from school and my work. Uh, interesting. She says, work. And Bert just very casually, as you would do. I mean, he's not giving away yeah. anything what here. This do? is what she would normally do. He says, oh, what do you do for work? She says, hospitality. Good answer. That is a wonderful answer to that question right there. Bert, smooth as silk, just says, huh? High unemployment rate here in Sicily. You know, it's great you're employed. Bert is skillful. And he's, he's, uh, here's the thing. Bert is this suave in these conversations. I'm not talking about like with women or women. I'm just talking about socially yeah. skillful at 80. Can you imagine what he was at 40? Man, I mean this Woo! both in the romantic and non-romantic sense. The guy had game. I'm sure of that. Man, he is smooth as silk. Um, so Lucia says, thank you. Bert gives Dominique a look like, is that so fucking hard? Like, can you not yeah, do this? Like, like, look seriously? at that. I could teach lessons. We'll, we'll set your classes for later. Do you remember that song that, that, that oh, plays? Oh, Yeah, yeah, the next thing. Um, cut to the worst couple's retreat ever, and Daphne says she wants a massage. Ethan then pulls Cameron aside and is like, you are fucking me up here. Harper's convinced I cheated on her. And Cameron is like, what you didn't? He's like, well, I know that. But can't you, like, vouch for me or something? Terrible idea. Terrible idea. We're going to unpack this later, but whether he does and whether it actually works out well, because this is apparently Ethan's plan is get Cameron to speak for you. Sight unseen. That is a risky strategy you've recommended here, Ethan. Let's see how it goes. I think the only way I would have done this is I would have like pulled them together, not tell Cameron beforehand. I'd have just pulled Harper over and said, Cameron, tell her fucking what happened. I, you know, here's the thing like that. If you, if you can trust Cameron, which you can't, but if you could, it would be more effective if he came up to her separately without you there. In terms of helping convince her, it would be more effective. I can't effective. trust Cameron. That's the problem. You can't, as far as you can throw it. Yeah. Um, Daphne then gets a massage reservation, uh, but it's right now. It's, she has to go right now. So she takes off Cameron, then asks Ethan if he wants to get some drinks. He did ask Ethan first. I'd like to point out, Ethan he had did. the opportunity to go with him. But Ethan, foul mood that he is, says, no, I'm good. And then Cameron looks down at Harper, who has unbuttoned her shirt. Looking um, lovely, I must say. Oh, how, how you think she's looking okay? I, I, I think Aubrey Plaza is an attractive woman. I think she's looking great here. Interesting. Okay, I hadn't noticed. Um, Harper then says, I'll go. And then she and Cameron go off to get drinks. I, do, I enjoy that our fan base is eventually going to be convinced you're asexual from your complete non unwillingness to admit that anyone is attractive. Just hadn't noticed. I mean, yeah, she might be. I don't know. I, just said, I don't concentrate on these things. I'm, I'm, I'm actually like, I care about the plot and stuff like I, that. Spencer. I, I think it might be fair to say that you watch it for the plot. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big plot guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ethan seems absolutely miserable. Absolutely fucking miserable. Cut to Jack and Portia. Portia... Um, doesn't seem like she's having all that much fun. Not a great she thing. doesn't seem like she's having a blast. I, I think the luster is fading. I think, you know, the the nights were fun. I think it's getting a little bit old. And I think a little inkling of doubt given to her by Tanya is starting to fester. I think that's part of it. You know, I think... I think he's also... I, have a, I, I think he's I got also a little sympathy for fun. Jack here. I, 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 no, that, yeah, continue with that. I'm curious. 
Well, I got a little sympathy for Jack here because it's like she is, you know, she presented as I want somebody who parties, who has a good time, who like when she did, literally with the first time she had a conversation with when he was heavily day drinking, like at, at this beach club. It seems like she wants him to party when she wants him to party. But as soon as she doesn't want to party, then all of a sudden it's not cool. I don't like it. He's lame. It's like you are like you've asked for this. Like you shouldn't be shocked that his idea of a good time is to go hammer beer. Like at, at, at noon, that's how, that's how you literally, how you met him. Well, I mean, he's a certain category of a trip to Vegas of like, you know, two days is great, but after you start getting a little bit beyond that, it's getting too much real quick. And she's on like day four Vegas. It's not great anymore for her. But I think it's a very fair, fair read that you said before is that, she marketed this as, I want to go have just carefree, semi-dangerous fun. And Jack was there to provide that. But as we've so often said with Portia, she doesn't actually know what she wants. And she's still still very much exploring that. And now that she's gotten, you know, enough of a taste of it, it's getting old quick. Um, she's watching some local kids play in the water. I agree with that, by the way. Uh, Portia asked Jack if she has any goals. And he, like, laughs at that. She's like, what, what, what are your fucking goals? And she's like be satisfied that would be nice i mean i think that's probably a truthful answer from her mm -hmm. um jack says uh well in my opinion you have to live every day it comes you don't know if we'll be here tomorrow he gives that whole spiel you know that he yeah. does typically do Portia says that's very true the world is a fucked up place so jack's we, like what's wrong with heard it this a lot on the show this is a very common that. refrain to have a character say this and have someone call him out I think that the guy who writes this show, Mike White, I think he's had enough of the liberal, the sky is falling thing that like is mm -hmm. happening among some of the NPR crowd. And I think he, I think there is, you know, you, we, we argued a little bit about our characters saying something or is the show saying something, right? Yes. And your point in that, if you didn't listen to that podcast was that sometimes characters can say things and they can be wrong. And it's just within character for them. But when a show is saying something, it's, the whole narrative is constructed to try to give you a message, right? I do think that Mike, Mike White is giving us this, like, I'm sick of hearing liberals tell us that the world is ending. Like, I, I do think there's a little bit of that. It becomes all the more apparent when it becomes a repeated refrain. We've now had at least three different conversations of characters commenting on this. I think, to date, Jack has the most effective rejoinder to somebody saying that. I also think that there, it's telling that every character who has said this has been asked what's wrong, what's wrong with the world and has had nothing, didn't have anything. It's like, it's like, it, it seems to me that like the message is that this is just a phrase that's being repeated in certain like circles mm -hmm. and nobody really has a lot of substance to back it up because Portia certainly doesn't here. And I but, agree with you that Jack goes on. I, uh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, as you're saying, I think, I mean, previously we saw Cameron and Daphne like, you know, what's really bad with it? And, you know, Harper just kind of yada yada her way through the conversation. Or almost treated them like idiots, the fact that they even asked what's so bad about it. Here, Instead of yeah, actually giving an answer. Yeah. Here Jack, you know, calls her, calls her out. It's like, you know, what's wrong with it? And she does the same thing that Harper is like, are you joking? But then he, and he says, pretty fucking good, I'd say. Pretty fucking good, I'd say. He says, you'd rather live in the Middle Ages then, would you? When they were ripping each other to shreds? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're way worse than ISIS or any of that lot. It's a fucking miracle anyone has even left in Europe. He then goes on to say, what I'm saying is, we're fucking lucky. We're living in the best time in the history of the world on the best fucking planet. And if you can't be satisfied here, no, you're never going to be fucking satisfied. 
and I, you, you, you commented about maybe this is Mike White speaking to us. I think this line by Jack is Mike White speaking to us about how he feels about that damn line. I, I couldn't, I could, like, I disagree with 99% of shit Jack says. I agree with this. I absolutely agree with this. This is like, I don't know, dude. Like, for instance, Spencer, I, uh, I sat in a chair in the sky. It, it, mm-hmm. it brought, you and I watched with a metal tube. I, I read Lord of the Rings, the greatest book ever written mm-hmm. uh, on the way here. Uh, you you wandered was, Beverly it, it was, Hills. And it was air like conditioned it. and it was comfortable and I got served food. And now I'm in a, like, I mean, the world is not so like, I, it, here's the, here's my go-to, right? Cause yeah, I have yeah. actually had some version of this conversation with people where they talk about how the world's so bad. And I say, I don't know. 2022 seems to me to be the best time ever. Why? Here's my, here's my go-to example. Used to, if you wanted to hear an old outcast record, you had to go across town, you had to dig through the CDs, spend 20 bucks, you may or may not get it. Then you had to put it in your CD player. Now, every single song ever is on your phone. Every song. Mm-hmm. Every song you ever want to hear is on your phone at all times. You can listen to it at all times. Just a, one one example of what Jack's trying to say here, which is like, it's kind of the best time. I totally agree with this. That's I, I, This resonated with me. Yeah, I mean, I'm very much with you. I, his comment about if you can't be satisfied living here, you're never going to be satisfied. It's almost it's almost a certain commentary about you almost have the luxury of being unhappy. Consider yes. that and for he, a moment. He he hits that again with her, on her later. But like we talked about this with Portia before too, which is we just never thought she was going to be happy. Like we, should, we yeah. like we felt like she's she just constantly satisfied to her core. Yeah, absolutely. We even th- ventured so far well, as to think she might be like clinically depressed. Yeah, it's one of the things we commented with a certain amount of sympathy for is that she is unhappy with her. She is unhappy internally and that it expresses externally. And that's something she needs to address. Otherwise, everything's going to look a shade of gray. Cut teeth and he looks up and sees Cameron Harper at the bar. It does seem like they're flirting. It did seem like flirting to me. It did seem a little bit like flirting. I'm, I'm fairly, I'm willing to be certain enough that it's a red herring and they didn't actually do anything. It's just Ethan's <laughs> paranoia. But at least <laughs> in this look, it's fair to say it looks more friendly than they've been in the past. I would venture that if you saw someone with your partner, another guy like pushing the shirt off their shoulders and like demonstrating like, yeah, take that off. You look physical signs. of. I would, I would say you wouldn't care for that. I'd say I'd have questions later. Certainly wouldn't cut to they're going back to the room to fuck. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. But I, but I, I, what I'm saying is that I think what happens later is informing your skept, what, how you're explaining this now. Let's just, let's just talk about now. This, no, forget that was a kind of an inappropriate bit of touchy that they were doing there. And Ethan is right to look at that and go, Oh, what the fuck was that? I, I will agree. Perfectly fair. I think Ethan runs with it way too far later. But here in this moment, he'd be perfectly fine to say, Harper, what the hell was that at the bar? Mm. Ethan then gets out of the water. Um, Ethan gets into the water. Um, Uh, How many scenes have we had now of character is unhappy or depressed and either looks at or gets in the water? You want to talk about repeated themes? Somebody's jumping off a cliff next episode. It is happening. So... You seem r- right there. You gave you tipped your hand. Did you don't think anything happened with Cameron? I do later. No, I do. Justifiable thinking otherwise. I do. Cameron. They make a point of showing Cameron look to see that Ethan was getting in the water and and lock in to watch that he's doing that before they leave. 
there is a moment where Ethan gets in the water and Cameron turns and they make a point of showing Cameron looking straight at Ethan in the water and then he cuts right back to Harper. I think they're giving us, I don't know. I, it can go either way. They, they certainly did not give us, it, they want us to be having this conversation. They want they us to be having this conversation. They want us to understand his doubts, his but paranoia, his anger. Why Why have Cameron be that locked in on where Ethan is as he's having the conversation with that uh, Harper? And then they leave immediately. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's meant, it's, to go. it's meant to check boxes. If, again, if it plays out and, do, and it didn't actually occur, it's a purposeful red herring. If it isn't, then Ethan's fears are justified. They're giving us enough evidence to work yep. with to make either comment justifiable. And that's very intentional on their part. It's something the show delights to flirt with. One of the things that's most holding me back, though, I don't see it as being in character for Harper to do anything. I don't. That would be my biggest divide. I think she's purposely trying to piss Ethan off for a lot of reasons. But I don't, from what we've seen so far, I don't see her cheating. Just as a character. Could be wrong, but that's my read on the character at this point. Nobody, nobody is a person who cheats until they do. Ethan seems like he's brooding. Um, Cut back to the family reunion, and it seems like they've arrived at Testa del Aqua. We see Bert and Dominique watching Lucia Nalvi talk up near a local church. Dominique mentions, didn't much do it. No wonder why they all left. (laughs) People live here, man. Doesn't always have to be a perfect paradise. Who would I have been if I lived here? Bert sagely says, you wouldn't have lived here. You would have left. Bert then says, there are people who stay and there are people who leave. Now, Spencer, as you and I both went to college and saw a lot of people come from small towns, I'm one of them, and then never go back there. Mm-hmm. There are people who stay and there are people who leave. This is this is a very, I think Bert is making a great point here. And Dominic takes it as like a kind of an insult. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, you got it from me, but you have a wanderlust. You were never going to stay in a small town your whole life. And I I, I think this is like absolutely in the vein of an appropriate thing for a father to comment on about their son. To say, yeah, you were never going to stay here. I agree. Is there a certain element of where Dominic also thinks that he's talking about relationships too? That Maybe. You have you've have a wandering eye just like me. I don't think that's what Bert's saying, but I almost wonder no, what Dewey Dominic was was interpreting it through that lens too. You're probably right that he was because I think that Dominique is so self-conscious about his issues with women that that's coloring every bit of feedback he gets about himself. But I, I, I honestly think Bert was just saying you have wanderlust, think, like you I, you would not I, be happy in a small town. I think Bert's having a great day and wants other people around him to have a great day. I don't see him dunking on his son here. He's wanting. Mm-hmm. He is very much the guy, the family I member think it's that's, a, ru- that's running a family trip and wants all the family to have fun. I agree with that. He is. He's being the general. I think he's giving a compliment. I think he's I, saying, I agree. You, you were not meant for the small town. We're, son. we're like, bigger you, you are a big this. Hollywood executive. By the way, Dominic probably lives right around the corner here in Beverly Hills from where I'm at. He, <laughs> you may you have seen are, him he, on the street. He's, 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 he clearly has some pride in what his son's accomplished professionally. I think he's saying is like, you never would have like lived here. I think he was trying to give him a compliment, but like I everything agree. else, Dominic is just filtering it through the negative. So I've got to say, please. Albie comes back, says that some woman that Lucia talked to told her there's a DeGrasso family that lives there. Bird is hyped. It's a command down the road. Lucia then there's a car. Lucia sees Alesso. She gets worked up. I have got to say. Tell me. Tell me, sir. Seems a tad theatrical. Didn't it just? 
did, did, for those who didn't watch the previous episode, I offered the theory last time around that I thought that everything with respect to her pimp, everything with respect to the scenes with Alfie, was maybe, possibly, Lucia doing a long con. Setting him up either to get a free for pass a big to America paycheck, like, or a hey, massive I, paycheck yeah. lump sum. One of the two. So much we're seeing this episode only adds to my paranoia and cynicism in this regard. And I agree with you. This scene right here with the two guys in the truck, the chase down the street, everything else, the fact he just happens to perfectly be there to see them, this felt very theatrical. Very, that's a perfect word used. It felt very much like something from the stage rather than real life. Now, you you said earlier, like, you, you, you said, oh, Lee, you called me crazy when I said that. And I, I cut you, I, I disagreed with you. And I, and I think it's important for me to do that because I was impressed with the theory I thought it was a reach though. Cause I just didn't yes. think we, I, I thought it was a great theory, but I just thought he didn't. That's why I was like, dude, if you're right on this, like this is a fucking all timer. And I got to say, man, you, you've gone from like, I think about a three, you know, the New York times probability needle on election night, yeah. you about a 3%, very probably wrong. You're up now to about 40% toss up range on God this damn. theory. Uh, because it seemed theatrical. It seemed put on. And where does Lucia go with it later in the episode? Right to money. I mean, I don't know, dude. Like, ah. Anyway, let me get through the recap here. I, I, I think you might be onto something. Okay. Um. So, OJ Simpson chase down the street. Yeah. So, <laughs> Lucia jumps in the car, and and Albie Albie now is involved in this because that's how that's the kind of guy he is. He's like, Dad, just go, just go. Anyway, they start going, and Alesso in the car gets very close Tails up him. to them. Dominique is like, "What should I do?" And Lucia's like, "All right, just, just." Get out. Just, just get out, right? Um, stop the car and I'm going to get out. So she gets out. She goes and talks to him. They're back. There they, are conversations kind of strange. He Every time he takes this, he doesn't really physically do anything to her. He just takes like a step toward her. And every time he does, she sort of like flings her arms up and, and takes a step back. Yeah. Um, finally, Lucia comes over when Albie and Dominique get out of the car. And, they, and Dominique says, we can take him. And Lucia's like, no, you cannot. That is... I- I'm gonna, I'm gonna say credit here. I didn't think Dominique was joking here or just putting something on. I think at least in this moment, Dominique was actually willing to throw down. Most men think they can always win a fight. Most men. I agree, and I think Dominique's definitely one of them. But he was willing to do it for Lucia right here, and I think that's at least deserves some degree of credit. I, I think if it was Dominique and Albie versus Alessa, they they probably could have taken him. But Alessa probably has a gun. Plus, Alessio had somebody at, at a free, Yeah, exactly. So I think Lucy is doing the right don't, kind of Don't count out Bert. I bet that man can throw. He would try. Uh, Lucy, <laughs> oh, him. Lucy, out of place. Lucy says she's going to go with him. But he's upset. She says to talk to him. Dominique keeps saying he cannot let that happen. Dominique then says they should not. Or Albie says, Dad, we shouldn't. Maybe we shouldn't escalate things is what Albie offers. Lucia says they should not let this spoil their day. She's going to go with him. And then she will see them later that night, looking at Albie specifically. Dominique and Albie get back in the car. Bert is incensed. You can't let her go with them. Bert then gets out of the car, starts yelling, don't go with him. Don't go with him. Mm-hmm. And I'll think out. Ah, man, this didn't sit right with me, this whole scene. It seemed really put on. It seemed very put on. It also leaves them in a crappy position going to beat the relatives, too, which is going to be a problem for later. Um, but this did not at... I like Lucia. I like her a lot. I hate to say these kind of nasty things about her, but this is really adding to my feelings that she's just playing this bunch. Yep. 
The cutaway, by the way, for this scene is from the bottom of the ocean looking up at the fish, sleeping with the fishes. Indeed. Yeah, very very yeah. Italian appropriate. So I think that like what they're telling us in that, that little clip there is that someone is going to die based on that whole scene that we just saw. Like someone. Yeah. It's going to be Dominique Albi or Lucia or maybe even Alessa. But like someone is going to be sleeping with the fishes based on all that. I agree. I agree. Cut to Ethan. He's swimming hard. And he gets out of the ocean. He sees that Cameron and Harper are no longer at the bar. He's immediately concerned. He grabs his phone. There's a text from Harker. Harper that says, went to the room to get my hat. He walks purposely. I might add, purposely. Back to with, the hotel with room. With purpose. Uh, he opens the door. The latch is on. The latch is on, Spencer. Harper mm-hmm. takes, I don't know, would you say 10 to 15 seconds to open the door? It takes a noticeable amount of time. It, it takes a, I'm sorry, I'm pooping amount of time for her to come to the door to unlock, unlatch that thing. It takes about 10 to 15 seconds. And it's, it's, that's fast. That's long. It's not so long as they were in bed fucking, right? Cause that would have taken more than 10 seconds to get. Ethan, get, sorry. Yeah. We need three to five minutes, but it certainly isn't a just turn around and unlatch the door. So it's, yes. it's they, again, they're putting it right in that gray area for us. Um, Ethan comes in. He's got a lot of questions, Spencer. Let me he, just throw a couple at you. He's got a head full of steam as he's coming into this room. He's Why is that door left. latched? Since when is latching the door your thing? This is a question he asked with a straight face. Since when is latching the door your thing? You had a tequila shot at the bar and then you came here to get your hat? Yes, I did. Here's the hat. It's like, again, if this is innocent, if it is indeed innocent, he is looking like a crazy person right now to Harper. Well, no, I disagree with that. So I don't think it's I don't think it's innocent. I do think she was kissing Cameron or something was going on. I know you think that. I don't. But I understand your point of view. Right. But let's say that she wasn't. I don't think that Harper is thinking Ethan's a crazy person. I think what Harper's thinking is it worked because I think that if if she's Uh, not going if she's not going to fuck Cameron, then what she's doing is trying because she wants her husband to say I want you. Right. And in absence of getting him to just jump on top of her, which he seems like he's not willing to do, she's, she's going to make him jealous and, and arise some sort of passion through jealousy. Right. So it's it's if if this is quote and I, I put that in quotes, right, because it's not all that innocent. But if it's the, more of the innocent of the two paths, then I think she's thinking it's working. I'm, I got him. I got him where I want him. In which case, she's following Daphne's kind of philosophy that Daphne put upon her is that you need to find ways to get back at him. You need to find ways to get yours. And. If you are correct, this is clearly visibly effective. Ethan then asks why the door connecting the two rooms, which, by the way, I'd like to point out, Harper said should stay closed, mm-hmm. is open. Wait, is it open or is it unlocked? It looks like it was think, closed from what I was watching. I thought his side of the room was open. I thought Ethan's side of the room was open. The door to camera, like, because it's two doors, right, on each side, right? I thought the the room on Cameron and Daphne's door was closed. The room for uh, Ethan and Harper's was open, but in any case, it wasn't locked. We do know that much. Like that, that, that we were both in agreement there. I think you're right. I think I think I think it's basically two doors and their half of it is open right now. Yeah. Ethan Ethan finally says, Is Cameron was Cameron in here? You two came up here together. He says the door should be locked and she says then lock it. And out they walk. Interesting look on her face as she walks. I took that look to be that she was pretty pleased with herself. She seemed happy. That's very possible. I, I, I had I was ambi- it was ambiguous to me what to make out of her expression. That's a very possible read. 
Ethan walks up behind her and Cameron comes out with them. Ethan stalls just looking at all this shit going on. So cut to the family retreat. I I will say Cameron coming back up to the room to get a book, not the most believable explanation of why he's doing anything. You don't think he's a reader? Am I going that much, you know, completely out of bounds by saying I don't think this guy has read recreationally in probably a few years? Yeah, I do think you're going out of bounds with that because he he works he works in high finance. He makes a ton of money. He graduated from the same university that Ethan did. He's not stupid, right? Like Ethan Ethan is so smart that Ethan is so smart that everyone looks stupid to him. So he's just lumping Cameron in with all the stupid people. I think Cameron is abnormally smart. It would not surprise me if Cameron did read from time to time. I wasn't saying he was stupid. I was assessing what he finds pleasurable. And reading didn't seem to be in that category. I think he is a much more in-the-moment kind of experienced guy than he is a I-want-to-sit-down-for-a-bit-and-read-on-the-beach kind of guy. I think he would much more like to rent jet skis than make it through book three of Lord of the Rings on the beach today. I don't think so either. I think he's probably got like a John Grisham novel or something. Something simple. It's not not something Patterson. hard. Not even not even Grisham. But straight up Patterson. It's, right it's not not difficult. But I do think that he probably has a book that he reads. I, I I can't imagine a guy at that education level doesn't at least read a book every six months or something. I mean, he's got something he's reading it, on, especially during travel. And as much as he probably has to travel for work, doesn't surprise me. Personal opinion, but it surprises me to what degree enjoying reading and education level do not necessarily correlate. Yeah, I don't know. They they they've correlated for me pretty pretty well in my my life. Not perfectly, not perfectly, but but most of the time, if somebody's highly educated, they read from time to time. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, So, cut to the family retreat arriving at the Degrasso house. Uh, it seems to be all women, which fucking made me laugh. Right the to start with sir. the fact that the it's vendettas. all women. <laughs> it's all women. That all the men have either left or been kicked out is or already killed. on brand. Already hashtag on brand for this family. Yeah. Uh, two middle-aged women are on the porch. They get out of the car. Dominique says, we came all this way. Might as well go in. So Dominique tries to explain that they are the DeGrasso's. And he asks them if they are DeGrasso's. They, they pick up enough to say yes to that. Uh, Bert says his mother was from Testa de Aqua. She left to go to America. I love how people are talking to people who are, you don't speak the same language as them, right? Like, yeah. all right, let's say Spencer, you don't speak, a, a, you don't speak English. Let's say you speak French, right? Yeah. Okay. We, we go to America and then why do people do that? Like what? Like I understand slowing the speech down, but why do they get, why do they start? All, you know what they almost do? They almost start talking like in it, like it's almost like Bert is talking, and Dominique are talking as an Italian who can't speak English yeah. back to the people who are Italian who can't speak English. It's a very strange thing. It is particularly a thing among people who speak English when they're in a foreign country. I think it's almost like an underlying presumption. Well, everyone speaks English. I just need to say it slowly, and then they'll understand. But why do they put the accent on it? I don't know. They're trying That's to make it so more strange. Digestible. It's so strange. What? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get the most props I've ever given to Albie. But the man yes. pulls out his phone and uses Google Translate, Spencer and it's a win. This is, this is a Spencer move, if ever I've seen one right here. Boy, we're I'm all we're all at some bar somewhere struggling to order a drink in Russia or something, and all of a sudden Spencer's got the Google Translate on his phone. Like that is an absolute <laughs> move. I can see you. Damn pulling. straight. I, I would have uh, inst- I would have installed a program before we got on the plane. Dominique says, we have come back to find where we are from. We think we are related. And I, I'm doing this on purpose. That's how he sounds. Yes. You are our relatives. 
Bert adds, you and I are cousins. Albie uses a translation app to translate the word cousins. They, they catch that. They catch that word. And then we hear someone in the kitchen. Bert says, hey, can we say hello to your mother? And they laugh. They, yeah, go ahead. Please do. Absolutely. I, I, Have a conversation Star- with her. I was a Star Wars fan. I was actually rather amused how much Cuccini in that moment sounded like Utini from Star Wars. Like a, a tickle. Utini. A Jawa. Uh, Bert comes to the doorstep, tries to greet her. Bert is all smiles here. The lady is cutting vegetables, has a knife in her hand. Becomes important later. She just starts screaming at them to get the hell out. She doesn't know them. She's waving the knife around. Dominique and Bert retreat. Eventually, they just have to get in the car and leave as the old lady screams at them on the front porch. Keeps going. I love. I just adore the implication here that the DeGrazzo men have been so shitty throughout time that not only do they not live there anymore, but the women have no desire to meet any DeGrazzo men ever again. And any simply showing up as a man to this house and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm in your family. Warrants, warrants having a knife wielded in front of your face. Like that is how much the men of that family have put upon the women of that family. I, I love the little signs that it's coming of where, you know, when we first have the grandmother speak, when we haven't even seen her yet, she's like, who is that? So it's a couple of men here to see us. What do we need men for? Yeah, and then, pretty great. <laughs> and then when they ask uh, old lady number, uh, middle-aged lady number one on the porch, can we go meet her? She sure. laughs at them. She's like, oh, sure. Let's see how this plays out. So they leave. And as they walk out, um, the old lady runs out on the porch, right? She's got the knife. She yells this at them. You want the pretty money. Shame on you. I'll throw this artichoke at your head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm very sufficiently intimidated right now. I love that she had a just whatever she had in her hand. She's like, I'll fucking hit you with this thing. You you leave for America to get all the money. I don't want to talk to you again. You know, like basically just just motherfucking him the whole way. It's just absolutely I, awesome. I, I, I got to ask you. you. You have a lovely new home in Asheville. Quite fond of it. Uh, Thank you. You're sitting on your porch one day enjoying a lovely day. And wh- where, where are your ancestors from in Europe? Give me a country. Dude, I don't fucking know. England, maybe. We're, let's say... Somebody from Yorkshire shows up. Jack, on the porch. Jack shows up. Jack shows <laughs> proper Essex. Jack shows up. It's like, hey, I'm a Waterfield. How do you react? How, how would you process that? No one called. No one coordinated this. Just I mean, I don't I'd know. Him. You know what I'd do? I'd invite him up on the porch and have a conversation. I, 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 of course, I would. Yeah, I would too. But I can understand, even if ignoring what the DeGrassio men have probably done in the past, I can understand the old Italian ladies go. Who the fuck are you? No, yeah, but that that so yes, but that wouldn't quite explain the, the level. Yes. Yeah, like they could have just said no. Instead, they go edit. Yeah, I think they're trying to tell you something there. Uh, but that, yeah, I agree. It, it is kind of weird. I mean, like you know, you made a mention before, like you know, maybe that maybe the person that Dominic knew called ahead of time. I mean, they couldn't call, right? They they don't know. They it's literally a fact finding mission. So like, yes. I. I do think that, like, I, here's the thing. Bert's not long for this world. He's 80 years old. He's not going to be a long, he's not going to be here that much longer. This is true. I would not dog this guy. So I would do everything I could to make him feel better about this situation. However, I'm just talking to you right now. Yeah. He had an absolutely unreasonable expectation of what would occur in this situation that people would, would welcome him with open arms and, and tell him he did a good job for going quote, going to, he didn't even go to America with his family to somehow tell him he's done a good job in his life. They don't know you, Bert like that. It's an unreasonable expectation that you had. You built this fantasy up in your head and it was kind of crazy what you had now, no reason to be rude to Bert about it. Right. I, I wouldn't, but I'm just talking to you. 
is kind of nuts, right? It is. I can I can understand why Bird has put a lot of hopes and dreams in this, but logically speaking, he had no reason to expect much out of this uh, of this occurrence, and I think it's unfortunate how much he put into it. Yeah, as um, as she, uh, by the way, as 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 they leave, uh, the last bit of translated text we get from the old lady is "fuck off," which I thought yeah. was just connecting our two favorite uh, HBO shows here right into six. Just, Fuck off, a little Logan Roy for you. I, I thought Bert's summary of it was quite effective. Not quite what I imagined. Yeah, got to uh, Ethan. He sees Harper talking to Cameron. Harper comes over, says, do you want some of this drink? It's actually pretty. I think she's just trying to have a conversation with him. Yeah. Um, Ethan then Ethan then says this. Why are you in a good mood? Oh, now all of a sudden you're in a good mood? Huh? God, he is spiraling so fast. So, Spencer, this is what uh, we in the professional uh, industry would call, I would say, a can't win situation, I think. I think professionally yeah. speaking. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Because there's no way anyone's getting out of this situation happy because at this point Ethan thinks Harper has cheated on him. Harper claims that she has not. No one is talking honestly with each other. There's no way to prove anything. No, people aren't, you're not going to get happiness. It will not happen. Mm-hmm. So just professional opinion. You're Harper here. Your spouse just came at you with that. How do you respond? Do you do what she does and direct it to something else? No, I would have a more direct response. I'd say, what is, you're, you're clearly in a bad mood. What is going, what, do we need to go to the room? Do we need yeah. to get away from these people to have a conversation? I need to figure out what's going on with you. Cause this, this isn't working. That's what I'd uh, say. What about you? I, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, You'd probably be like, well, I, I mean, you know, I did, yes, I did hook up with the person. That, no, I'm just kidding. Listen, hey, I filmed it because I was felt guilty about it, so I filmed the act of it. Uh, let's go watch it back in the room together. Let's talk about you and your feelings. You haven't been upset the last fifteen times I did this. No, I'm just kidding. That's been, I'm just joking. That's what, joking. Again, it's thir- we're in the thirties now. You're out of date, but don't worry. We've had films of all of them. We'll discuss them in turn. Yeah, you know, this feels like you're feeling the same way you did on film three. Let's rewatch that one. So. He continues to ask her why she's in a good mood. She's like, we're in Sicily. It's beautiful. And because at the bar, Cameron confirmed everything that you said. Yeah, basically. That was an interesting word choice there. The basically is what? Like, I understand that you, I understand that they don't give us, like, it's not 100% on either side. Did she hook up with Cameron? Did she not? Right. You've picked a side based on absolutely reasonable you know, signals, right? And you've picked a side based on the And I've picked another side, right? So, so I'm nitpicking in all this, right? This is not me saying like it's obvious one way or the other, but I yes. do think them throwing that word basically in there is an indication that like she didn't have this conversation with him. At, at the most generous read of this is that by hooking up with Cameron, she just is like, yeah, Cameron's the, the fucking asshole of the group. Like, I, I mean, he just was willing to fuck his friend's wife. Like, I, I mean, I, obviously I believe that he'd hook up with the, the Italian hookers. That's the most generous read. The least generous is that she's she hooked up with Cameron and she's just making some shit up right now. Those are two possible reads on what occurred. It also is just possible that, you know, Cameron said some stuff that doesn't perfectly overlap, but it's enough that she's like, yeah, okay, Cameron's, Cameron's the responsible party here. That's another possible read if you want to give her the benefit of the doubt. Cut to Daphne showing back up. I gotta say... I have been a big Tanya supporter on this podcast. Yes. Daphne's new favorite character. Daphne shows up, says, don't hate me, but the massage is amazing. 
You'd also be happy to know that my masseuse, Miss Zua, was so hot. Kind of looked like Timothy Chalamet. He had muscles. She says he had muscles. Do you know but who Timothy Chalamet is? I do. Her, do I'm Dune, right? Yeah, there you go. Um, then uh, Cameron says, Timothy Chalamet? Met? Met? Don't tell me he touched your boobs. She says, oh, I asked him to. And then they do the whole little same thing. Same shit the whole thing. earlier. Just the same in thing where they... public. In public. Exactly. Cosplaying a relationship in order to be able to have sex with each other. That's yeah. what it seems like to me. They don't want to have a conversation about any of this. They're I think she might have fucked Timothy Chalamet. I think I think I think I'm more confident that she had sex with the masseur than I am that Cameron and Harper hooked up. Because <laughs> Spencer, her back gets hurt. Her, her, she hurt. He hurt her back. He hurt her back, and we have <laughs> very, very the fucking best, dude. We have graphic evidence that she has cheated in the past. We might have genetic. We might have genetic evidence. Yeah, we have a legacy of cheating. (laughs) A literal legacy going on here. Uh, Cut to the sun setting. So deeper into the episode here. Then we see the bells ringing, uh, the town bells ringing. And Jack just pounds another beer. And he blurts out, I fucking love beer. On the five-point scale of soccer hooligan, how far are we? Because he's straight up singing United songs by the time he's done here. Portia is clearly not having fun anymore. But again, this is the the point. You can't make your primary criteria in finding someone be that they are, quote, fun and, quote, make your blood pressure go up and then get upset the first time that they party when you don't want to. Like, here's the thing. You're being upset at someone for displaying the characteristics that you're selecting for. Right? Like she's yeah. selecting for these characteristics and now he's just showing them and she's upset because I don't know, but I don't want it right now. Portia asked him if they should go back to the party and Jack asked for two more. I'm going to order two more. Let's keep going. Let's keep drinking. Let's get pissed, as he would say. Jack tells her not to worry. The party starts late and late. Portia just seems irritated. And it's a classic type of irritation. I think the actress is playing this pretty straightforward. It's that kind you have when you're with a drunk person and you aren't drunk. You know, it's yeah. fairly standard. The, the most frustrating experience with a drunk person is you being stone cold sober. Drunk people have fun. The sober people around them tolerate them at best. People on this podcast know I don't drink. That is usually true. Yes. It's, it's sometimes fun. It's sometimes fun to be with drunk people. It is sometimes fun. Here, here's, here's more what I was saying. It's, it's not, it's not when they're drunk at 1 p.m. at a restaurant at a table yelling soccer what? songs. I'll give Portia that. But if, you know, if like, if you like me and you were out somewhere and you were drunk at 10 o'clock at night and you were being out of character a little bit, that, yes. that would be kind of fun. Sure. It, it doesn't help that she's chaperoning him, essentially, that she's not That's the one the that's carrying his drunk ass through town. Also, more what I was saying, it's the trope, the trope of the one sober person with the drunk person. That sober person is never happy with the experience in terms of what is portrayed on film. 100% true. You see that all the time. And that's and that's kind of what I was getting at. Yes. What I was saying, it was fairly standard. Like, she's acting it pretty straightforward. Yeah. Um, so, you know, speaking to somebody who is sober all the time, I can tell you, it, sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it can be fun. But most yeah, of the time, it's, it's not. It, it, Cuts it, it, Tanya. It's contextual. This is not the context for the fun. No. Cuts Tanya, who's getting ready. She walks out. Quentin tells her she looks stunning. Stunning. Tanya says, my ass looks big. Quentin says, no, it doesn't. Come on, turn around. Let's see a big, beautiful ass. This amazing symphony of salmon. He is a funny guy. He is very funny. That, that, but that line had both me and Sarah laughing. Yes, it did. Quentin tells her that there is more good news. He's found the perfect heterosexual arm candy for Tanya. Got him, Nicolo. 
notoriously well hung, not that I've seen firsthand. He said, crestfallen, but believe me, I've tried. <laughs> I like that he's giving his own stage directions as he's saying this. He said, crestfallen, but believe me, I've tried. He is funny. Tanya asks Quentin what he does for a living, what Nicolo does for a living, this and that. A little of this, a little of that, you know, a little, you know, come on, Spencer. Well, sir, 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 he has ties to a very influential local family. Oh, you mean like the mafia? We don't use that word in Palermo. <laughs> Tanya worries he won't like her. Quentin says, don't worry, he's in the bag, as they say a little bit before that line. He's, um, he's all does say, Yeah, Quentin does say that um, Nicolo supplies his parties with the best favors, which I immediately took to be drugs, didn't you? Uh, there was no other way to interpret that. I wasn't expecting doggy bags. Well, I don't know. You're not a drug guy, so I just didn't know if maybe you, you if that did, if that, if that connected with you right away, because that's kind of like a code word party favor. My only like debate code whether cocaine. My only debate. My only debate whether it would be e or blow. And I was assuming blow. Hmm. Okay, well, maybe you're a drug guy. How about that? Um, so Quentin says, "Come on now, there are people here. It's very interesting to me that the point of leaving the room, of getting going, Spencer, is that there are people here because the very next scene." We see him yanking Tanya away from said people saying, ah, you'd be here all night talking to them to get her into a side room with Nicola. It, it, it is very much the sting. These are a lot of people that are hired to make the scene look realistic and then yeah. get her out of get her out of the room. Well, do you think these people are hired? Because I, I, I the, Quentin, not, Quentin has the type of personality that I could see that he could be able to fill up his home for a party at the drop of a hat. Like, it would seem to me that he probably is able to do that. I more mean hired in the broad sense of where, from his perspective, these people are props, whether it's actually part of a party or not. They are I think he probably just invited people. Because he... He's just so charming. Like, I imagine he he's got tons that of off friends. Well, yes. Hey, it's perfectly possible he's also got three games going at the same time. And these are some other old ladies he's going to bilk out of some money yeah, maybe, while the big so. game is still going. I don't think he's that good at it. You don't think so? I don't think he's... No, he can't be. Or otherwise, we'd be broke right now. Like, he's, he can't be that good at bagging the old ladies. It's, it's, it's a relative thing. It's not where you like, one old lady's going to provide for all your expenses for the next five years. You're always working. I don't know. I think he's also a bit of a wastrel. I bet he throws around a hell of a lot of money too. I, you're. I think that Greg is more of the mastermind here. I think that Quentin is Quentin's just an. He's just an over the top, like big personality who blows through a lot of money that Greg thought he could leverage in this situation. But I think that Quentin is just kind of Quentin. That's my I, guess. I, I'm willing to say that I'm purposely exaggerating Quentin as being this massive mastermind. I do fundamentally believe, though, that he has made a, he has survived these last few years bilking old ladies out of their savings, or at least getting them to contribute to make his lifestyle possible. Yeah. Um, so Quentin, they, they they go into the side room, and then we meet Nicola, uh, who doesn't strike me as that attractive of a guy, which is kind of strange. He's okay. I, he's certainly not my type, you know, but we've discussed that in detail. Yeah, we know, your, we know your type, yeah. Uh, but but he, he just doesn't seem, he kind of is like cross-eyed. He, he doesn't, it didn't strike me as like, I thought they would cast this as someone like over the top good looking to play the part, right? But like mm. maybe it makes sense that he's not, right? Because like. It's more believable that he's. Right, just, exactly. That Quentin had to find somebody quick. And who does he find? Well, I'll just find my drug dealer. I'll pay him. <laughs> hey, you, you look halfway decent. Please yeah. come. I, I I need you to help me seduce an old an old lady. And you're young, yeah. He uh he tells her uh that uh 
she's from Palermo. He, t- he, t- he she, yep. no, yep. sorry. He, he asked, Tanya asked Nicolo he if he's from Palermo. He says, yes. Quentin asked Tanya, she wants a little pick me up. Spencer, if you ever get asked out at a, at a party, I need you to leave immediately and call me. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Lee, I'm at a party, and some like eight other attorneys and stocking brokers from DC, from a D, from a New York, asked if I wanted to pick me up. What should I do? Yeah, let me help you with that one. That, this is where I can step in. You don't need to just be on your own in this type of situation. Um, Tanya says, "I haven't done that in a very long time." She says, "It's like riding a bike." That's what Quentin tells her. So she leans down and bam, if it didn't, she takes a line of coke. I was a little shocked at how quickly she took a line of coke. In. How many lines do we see her do? Three? I don't know. I don't it's, know. We, I think we see her do two, and there's a third implied. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's very difficult because, like, so much of it is around the amount of time that elapses and also the purity of it. It's just it's very difficult to, to make a, a sure. sense of if she's we, done we a cannot, lot or if she's not done a lot. We cannot reasonably um, assess how intoxicated she is from what we've observed. But yeah. it seems like it's a notable amount, particularly somebody who's out of practice. It seems like she's doing it. All night long, I think is what yes. they're trying to tell us. He says it's pure, which I just like to say, every fucking cocaine dealer in the world will tell you that their cocaine is pure. It, you know what it's like? Here's what it's like. It's like when you are at a store that's selling beauty products and they use the term proprietary blend. <laughs> yeah, it is very much that. It's like You can set your fucking watch to it. They're going to say it every time. Every person who's ever sold Coke has told you it's very pure, and every person who's ever sold a beauty product has said it's our own proprietary blend. Hey, hey when they're telling you that, they really mean it. It is pure baby powder. Good Lord. Quentin comments that this is going rather well, don't you think? And he, then he leans down to take a line. So everybody's partying. Everybody's partying. Tanya tells Nicolo that she likes his big pupils, which is funny because that tells me that he was high when she walked in the door. Yeah. Like he was Man already yeah, he tells her that they're going to have some fun. Then he strokes her hair. Cut to the evening, and we see Valentina getting ready by the front desk. Putting makeup on, Isabella walks up, asks her if she's ready to go. She says, I only have one more thing to do, and then they can leave. Isabella then mentions, hey, a little thing I want to talk to you about. Salvatore, uh, he's flirting with me quite a lot. He's making me uncomfortable. Valentina says, oh, I'll talk to him. Isabella's like, well, I was kind of hoping you could transfer him back to the beach club and move Rocco back here. Valentina says, Agrees to one part of that. Mm-hmm. Says, I'll move Salvatore. Isabella says, what about Rocco? And oh boy, Spencer. Then she discloses that Rocco is actually her boyfriend. Nay, nay. Her fiance. fiance. Poor Valentina just falls apart here. Isabella pushes, pushes Rocco coming back to reception. And Valentina says, I don't know. I have to think about it. I'll let you know. Isabella's in like, are you ready to go? And Valentina, shockingly, it's going to shock you, Spencer. So sit down. She's starting not to feel well. And, um, Isabella then is like, are you, are you sure? Like what? And then, and Valentina is like, nope, I am not going to go. Not, not interested. And, uh, says her birthday is just like any other day. So that hard exterior comes right back. That, that hard shell, whoop, it comes right. Like, like almost like a, like a superhero just Mm -hmm. shuts the door right back again. Absolutely. And Isabella walks off and Valentina is left there feeling pretty poorly. Spencer, I, want to ask you, what did you think this was all about? Why did you think Isabella brought that up when she did and had the conversation in the way that she did? To nip this in the bud. I, I, th- I think she very much, she's been reading this out. Isabella seemed like she's been aware of this for a while and is uncomfortable with it, but it wasn't sure how to address it. And I think she honestly handled it the right way. About and that, that, by the way, is why you never ask your employee on a date. 
because yeah. you put them in an impossible situation like Isabella was Very in. Much so. She did, obviously she's she's first of all she's not even homosexual that we can tell, and second she seems to not be interested in Valentina. But you put them in an impossible situation when you ask a question like that. That's why you don't do shit like that. And I think Isabella dealt with an impossible situation admirably in terms of addressing this early, getting the information out, still willing to, you know, set parameters to then go forward with this and not letting it just continue to get worse and fester. And I don't think she's going to be punished for it either. At least I hope not. Because, as you said, impossible situation. And she tried to extricate herself as best way possible. Question with respect to that based on what we've seen previously. Fire away. Episode one, or like scene friggin' one. Isabella's on, uh, Valentina's on the beach, and Rocco is right there at her side. Does that mean he's back at reception, or does it just mean that they're at the beach and it's his domain now? I thought he was still at the beach club, because that's why he would be in right a there. car and the whole thing. And that's why they would, and that's why they hadn't had, that's why they hadn't talked, right? That's why. Uh- He's it seems like he shows up and he's got news for her that she didn't have. So that would indicate to me that they weren't in the same group or whatever. I don't know. I think it's very possible. He was noticeably dressed more reception-y than beachy, but it's perfectly possible that Rocco is just still wearing the same reception. Well, I think he's working reception at the beach club. Like, I well, think but, he's, like, checking people in there. Well, for example, Salvatore changed outfits previously working at the beach to then come to reception. Rocco seems like he was still wearing the reception outfit. I agree, though, it's more likely that he's still just running the beach club. And that's the reason he's there to then come and tell Valentina what's what's going on. Yeah, it, hard to say. I, I don't think we know. And uh, yeah, it's probably not a big deal because I think the whole Isabella Valentina thing just it's over. Like you I know, hope like, so. so. I hope so. Well, I think it is. <laughs> think, yeah. I'm not sure Valentina's going to come back in hitting on Isabella. She didn't even want to go to a drink with her after that information got dropped. So yeah, I don't, I don't think she's interested. I anymore. just hope that she's not going to be petty and like punish Isabella or something else. She may. She may do that. She may, in fact, do that, and that's another reason why you should that, let let me count the ways you are why you shouldn't try to ask your employee out on a date yeah, because you, know, you might be tempted. You might get your feelings hurt. You might be tempted to either over either on purpose, like you know, purposefully, you know, punish them for it, or you might just do it subtly. You might do it subliminally. You might not even not you might not even know you're punishing them for this thing that has offended you. Uh, you know, there, there are certain episodes we get wonderful advice from Uncle Lee. I feel like this episode we're getting advice from HR Director Lee. <laughs> it's still great <laughs> advice. Just regular manager. Yeah, yeah. Like, please don't ever tell me I work in HR. My God. Ugh. Run the whole department right there. Fucking HR stinks. But they, they, have, a, they have a job to do. Uh, not cut wrong, they're not wrong about this advice, though. No, but I mean, this one shouldn't even have to get to HR. That's just managers. That should be fixed. HR yes. shouldn't even have to tell you that. Cut to couples retreat gone poorly. Cameron mentions, I don't know why they keep giving us these menus. We know them front to back. I have an idea, Cameron. Go eat at a Sicilian restaurant. Leave the hotel. You please. He's got the gall to complain that he knows the, well, you're only in the fucking food capital of Europe. (laughs) You dope. Go eat somewhere else. (laughs) You've got options anywhere. Find a corner. It's going to be lovely. I heard people saying that this was somehow like an inconsistency in the show. I don't think it is. I think that rich people, really rich people, and especially really rich people who feel like they're a little better than people who don't have money, are very reticent to leave the resort on vacations when they go abroad. They don't like like I, this. Like I've got real rich friends, right, who will go on these like maybe not quite to this level, but we'll go on resort vacations and I'll say things like, Oh man, you went to the Dominican. Did you go out and have some street food? 
no, sir. They are not going out with the locals. Like, it, it, it strikes me that maybe Cameron's one of those people. I think it's very possible. I think it's also a bit of a stereotype about Western tourists, too, is that they, I, where'd you go? Oh, we went to Cuba. Oh, did you wander around? No, we never left the resort. No, I ate cheeseburgers at the It's a very common yeah. trope. Yeah. I did that. I remember I did that at, uh, at, 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 I used to travel for work a lot and I, I would go to Africa and, uh, I get to the, I get to the hotel or I get to Africa, right? And I, like I, I went to Addis Ababa a lot, right? In Ethiopia. Yeah. And I get there and I'd ask the locals, I'd say, what's a good place to eat? And they would always say, the, the restaurant attached to the hotel I was staying at. That's yeah. what they would always tell me because they thought that's what an American would want. And I'd be like, mm-hmm. you don't understand. I didn't fly halfway around the world to eat a cheeseburger, an overpriced cheeseburger at your African fucking hotel. Like, I want to go out. Like, <laughs> there was just always an assumption that I wanted to eat at the Western restaurants. And probably because they've dealt with people Most who did. Tourists, yes. Right? They've dealt with Camerons before. Uh, Ethan is just staring daggers at him. Boy, this is uncomfortable. Holy smokes. Cameron looks at him and says, you okay, man? Ethan says, Harper tells me he said something to her. Cameron says, I said you've done nothing wrong. You're a good boy. Do you think he actually said that? No. And he's, he's so condescending in how he talks to him all the I, time. Th- that more tells me he did. I think I, just because he's mocking him that you even told asked me to do this. I don't think he did. But I don't know. But obviously, we, we differ in how we, we do. think that be Cameron, fast Nick Cameron and Harper had a conversation. Um Ethan says, stop flirting with my wife. I am not a fool. Cameron tries to play dumb. Now, here's the thing. Right. You might not, you might not think that Cameron hooked up with Harper, but we saw him grab her leg. So he did flirt with her. So this whole playing dumb about, I didn't flirt with your wife thing. We know he's at least lying up to this point. I agree. He's at least lying about this. And it's perfect. There's a laundry list now of moments of him. Grabbing her leg, swimming up to her in the ocean, taking off pulling his... the dress, pulling the shirt back a little bit at the bar. Yeah, as as the actor now admitted in an interview, showing off his uh, prosthetic penis to her when he's changing into a bathing suit. Ethan asked him if he was in their room. Are you in my room? Cameron says, "No, of course not." Ethan brings up him being naked in front of her on the very first day, which is the scene you were referencing when he borrowed his bathing suit. Cameron says, "This e, are you losing it, man?" Ethan says. Little. Were you yeah. in our fucking room? Tell me the truth. So, yeah, I mean, I get, yeah, he's losing it a little bit and it, it's either justified or not justified, but yeah, he's losing it one way or the other. He's kind of losing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in walks Daphne and Harper just in time to rest, stop the rest of that conversation. Daphne sits down, moves around a bit. God, I swear to God, I think little Timothy Chalamet did fuck up my back. I bet he did. Mm-hmm. Threw it all the way out. Daphne is the best. She's just living this other life. Mm-hmm. I don't, how how locked in do you think she is with what's going on here? In terms of what's happening between who? Yeah, because like I, in this kind, con- when she sits down and she says this thing about Timothy, little Timothy Chalamet blowing out her back or whatever, like Ethan is still staring daggers at Cameron. Harper seems concerned about this. Everybody at the table is having a reaction about this situation. Do you think Daphne's at all locked in on this? Because, like, I think that she's pretty aware that Cameron probably cheated on her when she was in Noto. I, I think she's just elevated. I don't even think she's aware of what's going on. Like, I think her means of coping right is to not be involved in the minutia. And I think that's how she goes about her day. I think she's sort of floating above right now. I think yeah. she's she's really re- removed herself from the entire dynamic. Hey, um, hey, among the people at this table right now, she's the only one that looks like she's having fun. She did. With little Timothy, little Timothy Chalamet mm-hmm. throwing out With her back. He's, he's got muscles. Cut to Mia singing. And she's good. I got to say, 
She's got a particular style. I do think she's good, but I don't know that I want to hear three straight hours of this person sing. It's it, she she approaches every piece it seems the same way. It's very like high pitched and throaty. It's fine, it's good, but it's just a particular style. I don't think she's got a lot of range. I agree. I think it may just show her lack of experience. I think she has a great starting point to be really good at this oh, job for sure. Yeah. But she, I, I agree with you. She needs to develop a bit of variety to her style. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Be able to hit a little bit lower note every once in a while. Valentina sits down, orders a drink. I think she went right to it, dude. I think she ordered a martini. It's a stiff drink right away. This is, oh, and by the way, no. when people order a martini, I love when people order martinis because they're like, I'll have a martini. As if a martini is the same thing as like a rum and coke or what? Martini is liquor in a glass. It's yes. just straight alcohol. Nothing's delicious. It's not a mixed drink. It's not a well drink. It's just, it's just straight alcohol. The only dilution possible is whether you've got some ice in there to a certain degree or was, was part of the mixing, whatever else. And Otherwise, people, and, and this is how pe- funny pe- drinkers are. They love to like the, the only thing that really that really could like dilute a martini is vermouth. But people love to like be like really bravado about how little vermouth they want in their martini. Extra <laughs> and all I hear is like, I just want straight liquor. Uh, uh, she my, seems my so sad. My, my dad ran restaurants. So he loved to joke about that. But most people who went out for martini wanted it dry. They wanted it to the point of when you just took the bottle of vermouth and opened it next to the drink for a second, and then closed the bottle of vermouth and handed them the drink. That's it's how because prissy people they, are on that. But they're not, but they're not prissy. Like what they want straight vodka or straight gin. Yeah. When you put vermouth in it, you're messing up the drink they really want. Like, mm-hmm. they're just giving themselves away that they just want to drink straight liquor. And that's fine. But, like, let's not pretend a martini is like a mixed drink. <laughs> it's the classy way of saying, I want to get fucked. Exactly. And then that's exa- that's why I brought this whole dynamic up. Because that's exactly what Valentina wants to do she right now. Right? She just wants to drink heavily. Exactly. And she seems sad. She, I do. And I do feel bad for her. I really do. But here's the thing. She shouldn't be there. She should be at a lesbian bar. The problem isn't that Valentina can't find love. It's that Valentina refuses to see the world as it truly is, right? The reality is she's a lesbian. She's single and she wants a romantic partner. The sooner she starts admitting that those are the facts of her situation, the closer she'll get to actually accomplishing what she wants to accomplish. While she still tries to play around the margins or, you know, deny some of those core facts, she's not going to do the thing that's actually going to get her what? what she wants, which is to step foot in a fucking gay bar. It, it reminds me of that conversation earlier between Portia and Jack. What are your goals? Valentina, what are your goals? I'm, is, is it that you're lonely and you want to be with somebody? Okay. What are you looking for? Oh, you're into women? Okay. Let's pick those two data points together and make this work. But she, as you said, she hasn't had that conversation with herself. She's got like you have to see the world as it is, and like what what your what the world is is, you are a lonely lesbian. Where do lonely lesbians need to go? Uh, lo- I don't know. Where other lesbians are? A lonely repressed lesbian, as we're learning in this conversation too. Here in a minute, you certainly don't need to like be mining your direct reports for fucking dates. That's the last thing you should be doing. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't wouldn't be barking up that tree anyway. Cuts a burr who I honestly believe is triggered emotionally by Mia singing. Like, that's where I've started to believe. Several it. times now, yeah. I think there's something. I, did his, was it, did, did he have an affair with a lady who was a lounge singer? Was his wife a singer? There's something else there. More will be discovered next episode on this, I bet. Yeah. He's listening to her and Dominique Gaspard if he's okay. And he says, buckle up, Spencer. Get your, get your Kleenex ready. Mm-hmm. You always think there's going to be a homecoming. The embrace of a woman who tells you 
you've done all right. Well, there is no homecoming. Not for me. Not anymore. That was really sad. That was a really sad line right there. The first part of it wasn't super sad for me, this idea of the brace of a woman and all that. But, but when he says there is no homecoming, not for me, not anymore, that tells me that somebody who the world is starting to pass him by and not where has passed him by. Um, and he's just sad about it. And that's and really tough. It's particularly rough coming out of this character too, because it's the most resigned we've ever seen him. This has been a character yeah. that's actually had remark we've commented on his energy, on his drive. He's the one guy who's trying to make this actually a vacation rather than just hanging out at the hotel the entire ways. And here, this is him at his lowest point. This is him deflated. This is not a look we've seen out of this guy before. This guy was farting Prosecco off a boat and he was still energetic. Here? <laughs> what he was he doing? He wants to do. He doesn't know what, what's going to happen next. That's a weird look for him. <laughs> Prosecco off a boat. That was funny. <laughs> oh, you that got was episode me on that one. one. You got me on that one, Spencer. So, um, he gets up and he leaves. He says he's going to get a drink at the lounge. Not going to eat. Not hungry anymore. Um, Albie and Dominique are left there, sort of feeling bad. I was yelling at the screen, Albie, go with him. I didn't think Dominique could help in this situation. I did think Albie could, though, because he seems to have a pretty good relationship with his granddad. I thought he would be, it would be beneficial for him to go and sit with him for a while. Maybe not, like, try to unpack everything he's feeling, but at least sit with him. This More than anything, this is a guy that wants company. He may be trying to walk away from you, but... He had hopes and dreams today that got thwarted related to family. He needs to know he's got family. Cut to Mia singing, You Belong to Me, which talks about coming home again and having someone say, You Belong to Me, which is pretty apropos for Bert. On the nose, Atelia, the writers of this show, nail hammer, bang, bang, bang. They do it all the time. Bang, bang, bang. Mia finishes and everyone claps for her. Bert tells her she's very good. You're far better than that last guy. Boy, was he He hated the fucking Giuseppe. He He did not Over and over. Really wasn't a fan. That, that's one of the like really small little dynamics of this show that makes me laugh is like because it's so unreasonable because Giuseppe's good. How he's just like that guy's trash, and you're like, what? <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> I I did I did enjoy that that particular line seemed to really humor Mia. She really seemed to actually like to oh. be compared to him. Oh for sure. Oh and ba- yeah, better. Yeah, Mia says, "Grazie." Well, I have one fan. Cut back to Tanya and Quentin and Nicolo all doing cocaine, and then we cut to Tanya dancing. And she gets back to do more coke, and they run out. She's back. This is this thing, you know. This Anybody is, who's done cocaine, this is a very standard, uh, very, very standard late night dance. You're back in and out of the bathroom all night long. It's a pretty normal thing. She, they do run out. Nicola runs out at one point, and she wants to look in his coke bag, and she finds a gun. Um, but this doesn't even bother her in this state. Now, I'm pretty sure that regular Tanya would have been perturbed by this, but she just, whatever, it doesn't matter. Is this just further evidence that this guy is just the drug dealer? Yeah, for sure. That's all he is. Yeah. He's not going to haul around that know, much coke cocaine to power an entire party with that. You know. yeah. Uh-uh. yeah. Cut to Tanya who continues to do more coke with Nicolo and Quinton's bow. What's that guy's name? The guy with the fro. I don't suddenly remember. What's his name? Mateo? God, I can't, I could, Mateo. There you go. That's it. Mateo. Good. God, man, look at you pulling that one out. From the hip pocket. Shout out to Spencer's memory. Cut to Albie and Lucia knocking on the door. Comes in his... Cut to Albie. Lucia knocks at the door. Comes in his room. She looks upset. I'm having having trouble. I'm having trouble. Your your beloved Lucia. What are you doing, sir? Have I infected you with my cynicism? This... this, Honestly, like, as as theatrical and performative as the earlier scenes felt, this, this... Part the, the rest of the episode is what really started to f- convince me, right? 
it's almost um, because she shows up after the fact she's all shaken and she needs like white knight albie to make her feel good it plays right into what albie wants to be doing with women like and, and as, as as like progressive as albie seems to think that he is with women he really wants to take care of them which is an inherently you know misogynistic sort of way to view relationships with women is that it's your role to take care of them. And it's kind of problematic in and of itself, but he probably does the mental gymnastics of saying, well, I'm, I'm being a quote, good guy. So therefore whatever I'm doing is not bad, but it kind of is. And in reality, if you're right, if you hit, you've hit a home run with this thing, Spencer, it's kind of, how about this? We say this in sports. He was kind of due. He was kind of due to get, he was kind of due to get scammed because he's being, he's, he's that sort of obvious with what he wants in a relationship that people can prey on it. This is one of two things. Either A, if we just read it best of intentions for both, then this is a magical, perfect scenario of his exact dream girl just falling into his arms with his exact scenario. Who needs protection. That needs protection. It's a pretty wounded bird in the way he said he likes, and it's just going to play out in, in that shape or form. Or, well, we've seen previously <laughs> about Lucia of her reading people quite well. She's tapped into his exact desires and whatever else and is playing to them like a, you know, she's playing him like a fiddle. Remember when she was sitting there with Mia looking off in the distance, wheels spinning, saying he's rich and he's, what did she say? He's rich and he's um, innocent. A, he's a rich nice and he's innocent. Like innocent innocent or nice. Yeah. Uh, anyway, cut to uh, Mia talking to Valentina. She points out. Never seen her drink before. Valentina says, well, it's my birthday. Mia questions why she's partying alone on her birthday. Valentina says, well, I don't have anybody to celebrate with. And Mia tells her what I would tell her, which is she should be out at a lesbian bar picking up a hot girl. Valentina laughs nervously, says, I'll tell you a secret. Now that I'm a little drunk, I've never been with a woman. Not a shocker to me and you after what we've seen from Valentina. Yeah. Uh, Mia seems upset by that, though, says, even I've been with a woman. Mia says, okay, let's do this, basically. Like, like, why, why haven't you ever been with a woman? And Mia Goes on to lean in and Valentina stops her, tells her it's crazy. You're crazy. Let's not do this here. Mia, because she's smart, says there are a hundred rooms in this hotel. You got to know one of them that's empty. She says, matter of fact, I do a suite on the second floor. She laughs about having the master key. She actually puts the master key in Mia's hand for a second, which I thought was all time dangerous move. You really don't want Mia to get a. I mean, Mia, well, here's what we've seen from Mia. She's gotten one key in her hand. She's abused that. And she's abused it right away. <laughs> and is continuing to. Week after the fact that business rights are being closed, she's continuing to abuse that privilege. You give her the master key, there is no limit to what she will accomplish in the last few days that are available. So me and Valentina take off. Did you think this was really going to happen? Nah, I did. I did think this was going to happen at this point. Interesting. I, I, I kept thinking Valentina would bail on it. Cut to Albie and Lucia on the beach. Albie is asking her what Alessa wants from her. He wants to control me. He won't let me go, you know. What would it take to let you go? Money. He says I owe him. But it's not your problem. It's not your problem. But it's not your problem. Not your problem. Don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. Here's my notes. Lucia says she's made him a lot of money and he's crazy, quote, but it's not your problem. Parentheses, goddammit, Spencer, I think you're right in parentheses. <laughs> it looks like it, don't it? It looks it like really it does. so much. Lucia leans in and tells him he's kind. She wishes all guys were like him. 
She is checking. Everyone. What do you mean, Lucia? You wish all guys were. What do you mean, Marks? Do you think they, you wish they were all like Marks? Is well, that what you mean? Wealthy, naive, and easy to manipulate. Maybe. Who could say? I don't have a lot of sympathy for Albie here because he just doesn't. He does want a woman that he can sort of like take care of. That it, because when he's taking care of her, quote taking care of her, right? He doesn't have to stretch his comfort zone. Right. Because his his comfort zone is a woman who will challenge him, who will get him to do things he doesn't want to do, who might, I don't know, cuss, smoke, drink, all the stuff that would make him a little bit uncomfortable. He doesn't want to be uncomfortable. He wants to be able to put his arms around a situation and say, I got you. Let me put a blanket on you and take care of things. So I don't have a lot of sympathy for him because she's just playing into this thing that he's got. And he it really, you know, I don't think Albie's dated a lot of women. No, I really don't because dating women for any significant amount of time, at least in the, you know, substantial quantities, I think this, they would have eventually broke him of this shit. It makes it all the more interesting too, that he's aware of it. He's the one himself who said that he's into wounded, pretty, uh, pretty wounded birds, pretty wounded birds. He's conscious of the fact that this is what he runs on and yet he's proceeding with it. I just feel like if you if you've just dated around like I don't know let's say eight women, someone along the line, some woman along the line would have been two whiskeys deep and would have been like, God damn it, stop! Like, yeah, <laughs> it would have broke him of this shit. Uh, maybe and maybe this is what breaks him of it long term, well, right? I, maybe maybe this is how he's going to get broken of this. Importantly, I don't. I, I'm willing to bet money he's not had a relationship outside of college. I think he had. A, I think he's had relationships within that very limited sphere of humanity. Probably and same dynamic. Probably yeah. some girl who's getting out of a relationship with a guy who's not great to her that he get that can that she can run to his apartment late at night, and he'll let her in and we, ask we've what's seen yeah, it the, before, the sir. whole fucking thing. Yeah. So cut to me and Valentina. Mia singing her happy. Birth. It's like a little Marilyn Monroe it's situation happy here. Happy birthday, Mister President. It is so much that. Oh my God! As uh, yeah, we're gonna isolate that, put that on Twitter. No, you, we, you don't. Do we don't. We don't need to repeat that. She, you notice how I backed up and let you go as long as you, you wanted to go. You just let me have clear audio for that for later use. <laughs> as she walks over to her, touches her hair, pushes her back onto the bed, she lays on top of her, they start kissing. So at this point, it is happening. Cut to Jack and Portia. Portia's taking Jack away. She seems very much over him at this point. She says she wants to go to the party. He says, "No, no, no, too drunk to drive. We're too drunk to drive." She doesn't seem drunk. Uh, they could just get a hotel. Um, he says the party is just a bunch of gays and old hags. She says, he says, we'll make our own party. And then he keeps singing the West Ham United song in the streets as they walk along. A little soccer mm-hmm. hooligan situation, as you pointed out earlier. Yeah. Got Ethan, who's sitting uh, in his hotel room, imagining Harper and Cameron hooking up and how it would have looked when he knocked on the door from her perspective and her getting ready after the pack fact. And as this scene is playing out in his head, I'd like to point out the White Lotus theme song. Theme music starts playing. Now, if I were going to argue the other side, right? If I was going to argue your side, which is that they actually didn't hook up, this would be my evidence. It would be that he's imagining it, which would tell me that it probably didn't happen because what's the likelihood of that, right? And then also, like, anytime we get the White Lotus Lotus theme music, generally people are being fucking crazy. Like, it's not – that that music doesn't come on when somebody's just nailed a really good point about the current world of socioeconomic (laughs) politics. Like, it's usually with somebody being fucking nuts. Yes. It's the audio cue that someone's gone off the deep end. Yeah. And that's – that would be my evidence, right? So I do think that's 
I said it's not clean either way. That that's that's evidence, I think, on the side that it didn't happen. Then Harper walks in the room, ask him if he wants an Ambien. I gotta have a conversation with Harper about the Ambien use. <laughs> ask her why she needs an Ambien every night. Um, if she says it's because of the state of the world, I need specifics. There there are people. I've never understood this ramp. Ambien to me is a powerful damn drug. In terms it, of is it is it's it's a scheduled drug. It's a controlled substance. I do. I know people that take that stuff like candy. I'm like, how? Oh, Jesus Christ! I've read cases about people on Ambien like driving their car halfway across state lines. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's maybe a little bit more powerful than maybe she is giving it credit for here. Um, she asked Ethan if he wants one. He says no. Uh, he looks at the statue of the head. That Rocco explained him there. in episode one. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you put one of these on your lawn, what does that say about you? <laughs> Ethan's still wondering. Um, mm-hmm. He then he gets into bed with her. Come back to the party. More and more party is happening. Cut to Nicolo who pulls Tanya into a back room, starts kissing her, starts speaking Italian. She's like, "Don't speak Italian." He says, mm-hmm. "Okay, I'll come back. Just give her one second. So he leaves. And she starts walking around the room. I think the biggest reveal of the episode. Sort of looking around. She looks around. She sees a picture on the table. And damned if it doesn't look like Quentin and Greg. Oh, my God, Spencer. The American Cowboy is Greg. And not only is the American Cowboy Greg. Quentin, why didn't you move that picture? Like, what is he doing? This is a like. If I'm right, and I'm going to debut my theory here in a minute. I think we're Please. on the same page about the theory. She's worth half a billion dollars. I think they're in line as a collective to pull in somewhere around $250 million out of the scam. Potentially, yeah. From voiding the prenup. That's We think the whole goal of this is is her And they split all the assets half and half. Exactly. Yes. That's a $250 million mistake, you leaving that fucking. If she's in her right mind, if she can remember it in the morning. Like, what are you doing, dude? Uh- Unpack Tanya's expressions. You are the Tanya whisperer. You understand this one better than any person you've ever met in the world. She she notices Greg, but she's fucked up and her she's not retaining her short term memory. So yeah, she notices it's Greg know. and forgets it a minute and a half later. This is that, if you ever if you ever talk to somebody who's in a blackout from from drinking heavily, tell them something and then come back ten minutes later and tell them again. You'll get the same exact reaction. Why? Because they're in a blackout. They're not retaining short term memories. I think that's what's going on with her. That's why she doesn't. Immediately start piecing together something's wrong. It's why she doesn't stop progress with Nicola. It's why she doesn't mention it in the morning. Strong agree. Strong agree. Tanya puts it down. Then she turns around. She sees Nicolo. He's completely naked. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. He walks up to her. So, Spencer, a lot more nail. But you were right. You, you, you were right about this. A lot more male nudity than female nudity. Although we did get a little female nudity, I guess, because, like, Aubrey Plaza was, like, kind of topless in this episode. So I guess maybe it's one to one, but it feels like a like a quick nip slip. N- quick nip slip does not full frontal man like nudity equal. You know what I'm saying? I feel like it's been an unequal amount. It, it, it does not feel like an equal exchange. I would agree. I think this this show has been emphasizing male nudity more than it has female, which is definitely different. It's not something we expect. It's usually like you know we have one act of male nudity and that's balanced out by usual just HBO tits everywhere. This show has not been running on anything resembling that. Which I like because it's it's high time Hollywood like get, make that a little bit more equal. Women shouldn't have to be the only people getting naked in these shows. I like that a lot. It's just something you pointed out earlier, and I don't think you're right. Um, so uh, they he they sit down and she says she's nervous. It's a very Tanya thing to say, 
Um, and he tells her just to sit down, relax. And she's like, you're just really handsome. He compliments her in Italian, leans in to kiss her. Cut back to the painting of a woman holding a dagger. I don't know if you caught that. I did, yeah. What do you think that's try? What do you think they're trying to tell us with the woman, nude, topless woman holding a dagger? The dagger, remind me, because I don't have it in front of me. Was the dagger was directed inward though, rather than outward, right? Yeah, it was like kind of curled in. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure, but I wondered to what degree it was in, in, in suggesting a degree of self-inflicted harm. See, I thought it was the woman is kind of hiding the dagger, mm-hmm. and I think that Tanya it. There is, she has the secret knowledge now. No, I think no. I think Tanya the exact opposite. I think no. Tanya is about to get stabbed, and she doesn't see uh, the dagger. Gotcha. gotcha. I think that's yeah. what they're going for. Anyway, uh, I, I don't I, know. Then I'm agreeing with you, really, in terms of that you have a self-inflicted injury. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. And then, then we. Oh, okay. That's what you meant. All right, you're gotcha now. Um, sometimes you have to limp me along, Spencer. You know, I'm not. A, I'm. A, I'm a little more Cameron than Ethan when it comes to the the mental capacity here. <laughs> don't worry. And only in the mental capacity. Don't worry. We'll get you on proper token eventually. We'll, you enjoyed We had our Grisham period. We'll get you up there. And then we cut to Jack and Portia. They get into their hotel room. This is something, this this scene. And Jack asks her if she likes the room. He's obviously very drunk. She seems to not really care about the room. Uh, she says it's fine. Jack says, well, it's free. She says, must be nice to have a rich uncle. Jack, well, he's not rich. Not really anyway. He spent most of it, hasn't he? You've seen the way he lives. Got his boat, his houses, his fucking princesses and lords and these posh fuckers. Yeah, they got their palazzos. They ain't got no money. Exact same thing Cameron said in episode one. Yeah. Exact. They got their palazzos. They ain't got no money. He then says he was going to have to sell the villa. That's his family's fucking house. Portia, that's your family too, right? Because he's your uncle. At this point, Portia has to know. She's got to know, right? The way he's talking about this. She wouldn't be asking this question if she didn't know. Jack blows right by that. Doesn't answer it. He says, I had a fuck killed him. He lays down. Portia then says, but he doesn't have to. Jack says, well, he's coming into money now, isn't he? And he's going to help his friends. He's very giving. I'm just happy that I get to help him now because he's helped me. Portia's like, how the hell is you? How are you helping him? Ah, I was in a fucking hole. Then he gets in drunk talk. You know, I was just complaining about life. Yeah. Ah, fucking hole. And then he says, you, you complain about your life. Yeah, but you really shouldn't. You should really shut it because... You ain't never seen a hole like that. Yeah, nah. And then he comes along and, you know, no one's perfect. Sometimes you do things you don't want to do, you know. A couple things going on here. One is his drunk talk. Yes. Which, you know, people get drunk and depressed and they start saying, oh, God, things are so bad. And then two, which is that's kind of boring. But the, the part that's not boring is he talks about Quentin pulling him out of a hole, which is probably not something Uncle does. Three is... He kind of berates her about her life. Like he, yeah, he, he, he kind of is tipping, he's tipping his hand on what he really thinks. He does not like Portia. I just want to point all this out. His job, which he seduce actually does, unlike Portia. Yeah. His job is to actually seduce her, but he tips his hand multiple times this episode that he doesn't really like her that much. Yeah. Which that's the difference, right? Albie did kind of like her. Yeah, from what we get out of a Jack in this perspective. Jack has been not only in the gutter, he may have been below the gutter. And to a certain degree, he is dependent or has Fucking relied hole. on... He has relied on or depended on or has counted on Quentin pulling him out to some degree. and feels beholden to him in a way that may not be 100% perfect or whatever else. And very much resents Portia with what perspective has been an easy life talking with him about how terrible life can be. Right. Because, like, Portia... Obviously, because of what her social circle and what she's used to and are like super like coddled America 
is like she like she thinks she's had it rough because she went to like the whatever Cal State school that was, right? Remember that conversation she had with Albie? Yes. Whereas like now she's talking to somebody who seems to really have had it rough. And the fact that she went and I called it out in the first episode. I'm like, she went to a really nice school, but she's comparing it to fucking Princeton or Stanford or whatever it was. Yeah. Like Jack is a good barometer for her. I think, I think, I mean, they, they jumped into this romance thing and it's all fucked up. Right. But I think she should have people like this in her life yeah. to tell her occasionally, Hey, you know, like going, having to go, having, having to go to a, a state, a, a state school in California. Does not make you like you know fucking the protagonist in a Charles Dickens novel. This isn't even a conversation of you went to college. This is you had food. This is kind of what I'm getting from Jack here is that Jack was probably outright either destitute or just strung all to shit out in some category here. Yeah, yeah, he could have been a drug addict. That that's that, I'm that is picking up some signs maybe. Yeah, and he could have been doing the drinking thing. But yeah, um, so. Uh, he says a deep fucking hole, man. Very fucking deep. Jack breathes in, sits back, seems to fall asleep. Portia is left there. Portia, leave. Go to the party. You know, she knows. At this, She has no excuse now. She knows that this is a fucked up situation, that Tanya's not in a good situation here. And yeah. she stays at that hotel and she does not go get Tanya. This would be the job of a personal assistant right now, is to leave and go pull your boss out of that situation. Personal. It's right there in the name. A personal assistant wouldn't have put herself in a situation where she wasn't at that party. Not under any situation in the world. She should have been, she should never have even entertained plans that could interfere with that. But she has, as you said, best thing she could do now is just, hey, he's asleep. You know where you were, presumably, or at least have an idea or can ask somebody. Get going. You'll make it. Get a taxi. Here's a line from Tanya in the next episode. Portia, you're fired. Really? Well, I don't really have the money to pay anymore now, do I? <laughs> Fucking Portia. <laughs> She's bad at her job. Uh, then we get music and uh, Jack snoring. Cut to Nicolo putting the moves on Tanya while butt naked and the camera fades out. End of episode. I do think the implication there is that it did happen, that Tanya did end up having sex with Nicolo. Now, let's debut our theory. We seem to have the same theory that all of this, that getting Tanya to Sicily so that he can basically, she can basically be handed off to Quentin is all to get her in a situation where she has sex outside of marriage so that, uh, the prenub is voided so that if, Je if Greg decides to divorce her based on the extramarital affair, that he would be entitled to half her assets. About right. What you think? hundred percent hard agree to the even point. I think that's the reason Greg showed up a couple days early. She even asked him, why'd you show up a little bit early for this? Whatever else. Cause he was coordinating things with Quentin in advance. Everything here appears to be built around the purpose of voiding the prenup. It's the reason they've highlighted the prenup with respect to their relationship. Now, question for you. Now, well, hold on. Can I ask a legal question first? Please. If, so if, if that is, if, if Tanya having an extramarital affair would void the prenup, if that's the case. It's what the contractual terms they've agreed to, but infidelity clauses are pretty common in prenups. Right. All right. Let's say that's the case. If Tanya could somehow prove that Greg was complicit in the affair, that he staged it, supported it, used resources to make it happen, would that affect the how that could be interpreted? Yes, it could. Because this would be a purely a breach of contract scenario. And if someone else causes the events that lead to your breach of contract, that cannot that you can you can argue that's not actionable. If someone else has arranged for the events for you to breach, 
it's not a fair breach by which they can then bring against you. Right. Yeah. You, it's almost like, um, yeah, you can't, you can't like set, you can't, you can't set the stage for somebody to do something. And then when they do it, say, hi, yeah, you did this. And it, it somehow aggrieved me. In some ways, it's overlapping with a principle from equity called unclean hands is that someone else can't go to a court demanding that the court, uh, you know, impose equity when they themselves have unclean hands or have caused the scenario by which they're now claiming equity for. Same, same as applying a breach of contract setting. You can't cause the breach and then seek relief for it. Yeah, 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 you can't. Yeah, and that would that would work that way in any sort of contractual scenario. You can't, can't enter a contract with somebody and then, do, like, do things to facilitate them breaching that contract and then somehow want to penalize them for doing so. That that wouldn't make a lot of logical sense. It, it ties into... I mean, for, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it, you have to... You, there's so many granularities a, in each individual situation, but broadly speaking, yeah. But effectively, it ties into what's called the implied duty of good faith and fair dealings. That in any contract, you've got an obligation to actually perform your duties and allow the other person to do so. And to the degree what you're interfering with that, you yourself are breaching the contract. Yeah. All right. That makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. You were going to make a point before I ask you to be a lawyer. Uh, do you think Greg is actually on hand? Do you think Greg is in town still coordinating things, or do you think he actually left for greater plausible deniability i think he left because remember he was talking to somebody else and he said i'll be there in a bit she doesn't know we don't know denver though we don't know denver no we don't but i don't i think he said something about like, i love you or something i don't think he would be saying that to quentin what um yeah, yeah. so i think yeah. he was really i think he has another relationship i think he has a, a either a wife or a girlfriend or it would have to be a girlfriend right inuit family we've discussed this yeah, he, he 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 has another family, and I think that um, he was going back home to them. That's why we had that conversation. I, I do. I don't think he's there. Okay, just my thought. Shall, shall we go into some quotes, sir? Absolutely. That's it. Into the recap. Now we go to best line of the episode. I and I alone, Emperor. Best line of the episode. Emperor Spencer, however, will supply me with nominees. Spencer, do you have nominees for best line of the episode? I've got a few. Not as many as sometimes before, because I felt like there were a lot of scenes of watching characters engaged in events rather than necessarily dialogue, but I still thought there were some good lines. Um, one from early on, Ethan and Harper. We are too young to be this old. thought that was an effective line. As you said, there's some wrongness in what, how the character is expressing herself, but I thought it was still an effective line for showing where her headspace is at. Um, Tanya and Portia. When I see you, I see a younger version of me. You know, when I was a little girl, my mother used to dress me up like a little doll, and I was always a little doll, waiting for someone to play with me. You know, when you're empty inside and you have no direction, you'll end up in some crazy places, right? But you'll still be lost. What are you trying to say? Like, get your shit together, Portia. I love how that ends, too. It's like, higher-order philosophy, trying to get her to you know, understand your point. Just eventually, no, 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 get your shit together, girl. Yep. Uh, uh, from Jack to Porsche. All I'm saying is right. We're fucking lucky. Do you know that what I mean? Like we're living in the best time in the history of the world on the best fucking planet. If you can't be satisfied living now here, you're never going to be satisfied. So let's go get pissed, eh? <laughs> hey, I'm kind of with him here. Maybe not the go pissed part. Maybe not spending multiple days with Jack, but kind of with him on the, on his philosophy on this. Uh, let's see here. Line from uh, Bert and Dominic. Not much to it, huh? No wonder they all left. Who would I have been if I lived here? Ah, you wouldn't have lived here. You would have left. There are people who stay and there are people who leave. And I'm someone who leaves? Hmm. Because you've got wanderlust. You get that from me. As I said, I liked that. I thought that was a fun exchange. That was a father-son exchange we haven't really gotten from these characters much. I agree. 
from Quentin. There's more good news. I found the perfect arm candy for you tonight. Well, what do you mean? I mean literally the sexiest heterosexual Palermo. Oh, uh, who is this person? Oh, Niccolo. Gorgeous. Notoriously well hung. Not that I've seen it firsthand. He said crestfallen. But believe me, I've tried. Quentin, you're a charmer. He is a charmer. Uh, Bert, sad one. You always think there's going to be a homecoming. The embrace of a woman who tells that you've done all right. Well, there is no homecoming. Not for me. Not anymore. And that's mm. actually all the ones I've got for this episode. All right. You uh, you actually have hit on the ones. So I'm going to award. So rare. Like I do very often, I award an honorable mention. I'm going to award, award an honorable mention. Honorable mention typically is an, a line that I like. That does isn't necessarily emblematic of the series, right? So, like, I like it, but it's not. It doesn't speak maybe more about the. It doesn't have depth to the line, basically. So, honorable mention this week is: You always think there's going to be a homecoming, the embrace of a woman who tells you you've done all right. Well, there is no homecoming, not for me, not anymore. That tragedy of aging, it will get me every fucking time. If you are writing, hey, I'm here. In, I'm here in LA right now. I'm going to open my window. Hey, all you people writing screenplays. If you want to make Lee cry, build in tragedy of aging somewhere in your fucking story, and I will cry every fucking time. It gets me every time. Seeing an old person sad about being old and aging and missing the people who aren't here anymore, it gets me every time. Uh, knowing L.A., when you're at breakfast, make sure to tell your waiter that. I'm sure they'll work it into their screenplay. It's funny you say that. I was at breakfast this morning, and I heard a guy next to me talking about writing, like writing. Like, it, it was so stereotypical L.A. I was drinking my coffee, and the guy was like, yeah, I'm just trying to write myself out of this hole. And I was like, really? That's how it is here, huh? huh interesting. It, it is. It's, it it's is just like they say. Now, best line of the episode, episode six, abductions, is when you are empty inside, when you have no direction, you'll end up in some crazy places, but you'll still be lost. Great line. Great. A lot of wisdom in that, but also emblematic of the journey of a lot of these characters. Very, very, very much. Matter of fact, maybe like emblematic of all of White Lotus characters. Because like these these characters, like they end up in, they do crazy shit. They end up in crazy places, but most of them are kind of dead inside. If you want an overarching theme for the show, I think, don't, I think Tanya said it perfectly. Yeah. So I think that one had to be best line of the episode. Man, did that Burt line get me? Ah, gets me every time when people are aging. Spencer, let's move on to what the people really want to hear this week. Who is your best vacation partner of the week. And then we'll go to worst. I think this is a rough episode for that. No, I don't think it really comes off well for being a vacation partner. I think I kind of have to default back to Bert. The man maintains conversation well. He makes people feel comfortable around him. He's trying to engage everybody in the activity they're doing. He's plans fun little excursions and activities for them to engage in. He compliments attractive people that are playing the piano. What's not to like in the guy for this episode today? Bert's a great choice. Uh, no problem with the choice, like the choice, good choice, great choice, great choice. But I will say this. Mia is a strong choice this week, right? Mia's because she showing up to work, which is more than most of these fucking people do. And two, how gamely, like, I know that we, we've talked about there's inherent problems with how Mia is starting to view the world through her sexuality. That if she wants to get something, she gets it through sexuality. T- call me a romantic, if you will. 
I think a part, yes, yes, she wants the residency there. She wants to do the job there. I, that 100%. But I felt like there was a little bit of kindness in what she was doing with Valentina as well. Like when Valentina was like, I never had sex with a woman. She could have laughed at her. She could have not wanted to engage on that point, but she even, she even talked to her about why, why is that the case? Like she kind of worked with her a little bit. Mia earlier in the episode, when Lucia's pounding the table, trying to get her money, Mia's still there sort of laughing, making a joke of the, the situation with Valentina still in a good mood. Mia's my choice. Now, my choice more often than not has been Daphne. Daphne could not be the choice this week for me because the, the way that they, her and Cameron are just not talking about things is getting really uncomfortable to me. Like to it be is. around. Like I feel like it's like a, um, what did you say earlier in the episode? You were talking about how, um, you were talking about it through the context of Jack about how, um, something's fun, but then too much of it becomes like sort of Vegas. frustrating. Vegas. Cameron and Daphne are kind of like Vegas. After about the third night with them, I'd be like, uh, like this is just, it felt like they were, they were really splashing cold water on your face about those two this episode. And it was kind of hard to watch. So she was off the table for me. Bert's a good selection, like the selection, but I'm going to go with Mia. Can I ask you to go first for worst? I'm really curious. Absolutely. Happy to. We got options. We got so many options this episode. So we have not traditionally limited this to any set of particular characters. It's been open to all characters. Indeed. Any, anyone, Quentin. anyone I've seen on the show. Quentin. Worst I vacation part. I picked Quentin too. I picked Quentin, Quentin too. By far the worst. He's first off, he's about to take $250 million of her money. Second, she could out. She's not done cocaine in let's say 25 could years. Could kill her. Could kill she, her. She could fall right over with a heart attack. And do you think he's going to rush her to the hospital? If she has a seizure or something? I don't know that I think so. Um, three, she's, he, he's entrapping her to cheat on her husband. Abduction was the name of the episode, right? Or something like that. Four is this whole weird twisted situation with Jack. I, it cannot be healthy because what we've got, it what we've, what we understand now is that this is more, this is more than just Jack was what I thought it was, which was Jack is potentially a male prostitute and this is a way for him to pay rent. I think it's more than that. I think that he was economically destitute and, Quentin has been leveraging that fact to get sex from him ever feels, since then. And it, it, it is actually really kind of an evil, perverse thing. It feels indentured servitude rather than employment here. So Quentin, charming as fuck. I still would go to a dinner party thrown by him. I still would. Knowing all this, I still would. Because he's, he's that charming. But dude, that guy sucks. He really sucks. He, he sucks in almost a, like a dangerous degree. Which I had yeah. To, it, it, he's it, probably going to kill somebody, right? A list of characters that would be willing to kill somebody else, Quentin would happily see you dead if it furthers his plans, and that's scary. Can I make a point here, and then I want you to finish your thought about Quentin? Please. We have we have talked as a all as a White Lotus community about the people who are going to die through the lens of suicide or murder, right? Yes. But no one was murdered in the first episode. That was an that was an accident. In the first season, that was an accident. So if they bro- if they broach cold hearted murder, that'll be another. That'll be a change, Old. right? And I feel like this season we have very much been steeped in the idea of, no, 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 no. We're not just, like, forgetting that somebody's going to die. There's not going to be some last sex and accident. It's a situation of, oh, shit, who wouldn't be willing to murder somebody else this season? 
we get a list of potential murderers. Longer than our list of potential murder victims, I feel like. And I think Quentin... I think it even makes it worse for Quentin of like, somebody's other characters be a cry of passion or confusion or whatever else. Quentin seems like, and to what degree he or Greg is the mastermind or whatever else, Quentin, your death would almost just be a necessary bit of arithmetic to make the plan work. And I think it would almost be that callous. I 100% agree with that. I think Quentin... He probably won't firsthand do it, but he will be the he will be the reason that Portia gets murdered next episode. I'm just going to I'm going jumping right into death theories. Okay, Portia will die next episode because of Quentin. Portia, I I've got two firm, and then Portia's on my list of five other people that are certainly possible. Portia's definitely oh, on there. Oh, Portia's not in your firm. Per, Portia's not in my firm. No. Okay, She's tell me list. who's in your who's in your firm. Fire away. <clears throat> uh, option number one, I think Cameron is toast just because again i think there's that many people gunning for him and i firmly believe ethan's gonna try before the next episode is done okay uh but between cameron between harper between daphne between lucia between i think albie possibly the list of people that might kill cameron is getting very 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 long but i agree with that you said portia was number was was firm on your list go on explain she's definitely number well i just think they're setting up for the start of next episode being Portia running back, getting with Tanya, starting to explain the situation. Quentin will be in within earshot. He will hear of it. He will somehow get wind of what Portia found out from Jack, which that, that was a fumble by Jack. Big fumble in this whole, this $250 million scheme. This is a massive fumble. And Quentin will view that as a loose end. He cannot allow to continue. And so he will he will murder Portia or have Portia murdered before she's able to convey perfectly all of the information she learned from Jack to Tanya. I think that's like to me, that seems the most basic of the potential options for how somebody's going to die based on what they've shown us. I think it is very possible. I think it's notable as well. We also previously entertained the theory that Greg would kill her based on overhearing or whatever else in their conversation. So I think Mm. now that we have a better light on Quentin, I think it's only adding to some prior suspicions that Portia was potentially a sacrificial lamb oddly enough in terms of finally doing her job to try to protect tanya i would agree with that uh, other big one for me uh based on this last episode we are getting some serious for i think this is almost low-hanging fruit we're getting some serious death flags for bert that we've always been worried about him between his falls between his overall age and health this episode adds in the element of disappointment but I also th- think it adds in the element of a possible relationship with Mia. And I'm willing to entertain the idea that Bert's going to make a move on Mia. Mia's going to recipro- reciprocate to it in some shape or form. And he's going to die in the act or die thereafter. Oh, you think he's you think she, he's going to die having sex with Mia? I think he'll either... I think his death will be in some way be tied to her. Of where he'll do it and it won't be fulfilling and he commits suicide or something along those lines. Or he dies in the act due to his age. Hmm. I don't think Bert I, does. You, you think Bert's I think it's too Bert's easy. A red herring. Yeah, they don't. They don't kill the, the, the White Lotus. Never kills the person you expect, and they're not going to kill the eighty-year-old guy. To date, they've easy. only killed one person. Let's remember that. It's too easy. I think that Albie will confront Alesso, and in doing so, Alesso will, you know, display some bit of physical, you know. Push it. Like, I don't want to say violence, but he will. He will physically, you know, um, confront him in some way. Sword fighting. 
and Albie, well, he'll maybe push him or something, and then Albie will will either knock him down, bust his head open, choke him, something. Albie will kill Alesso, and that will be the the real. There'll be a lot of tragedy in that because I think you're right. I think Lucia's setting him up, and I think that that's what's going to break Lucia when she figures out. Oh no! Like that, I can't. There's no. This isn't just stealing a couple grand or ten grand or whatever from this kid. Now he's killed somebody, and there's no coming back from that. And I'm the one that caused it. I think that is very possible, and that guy's on my list for that exact reason that you just painted that. Oh, he's your second one. He's your firm one. No, he's he's on my li- my list of possible at this point. I thought Cameron and Bert were my firm ones. My list of the other ones, Albie and I didn't remember his name. I just called him the Pimp. I didn't. Oh, so. I, I, I just, he has no role. He has a title. Uh, I, I suspected that one of the that if there was any confrontation between the two of them, only one of them would leave alive. Okay, and All I right. think it would be very smart on Lucia's part if this is indeed a scam to make sure that confrontation doesn't happen. I think that once Albie does kill Alesso, and Lucia sees this all go down. Lucia will be the one to jump off the bricks, and she's the one that will be in the water. How many people are you suspecting die next episode? Three. So your list is Portia, Lucia, and Alessa. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I think I, I don't think Bert's dying. I think Bert. I think Bert's a red herring. They don't kill the eighty-year-old. Um, I think that those are my three. I think you could even get add an extra death because again, Rocco said few, and the pimp would not count on his list of potential deaths unless he happens to die at the at, at the hotel. See, I, yeah, I think he might die at the hotel because that's where the confrontation will occur. Fair. Um, and I, I think people read too much into the word guest from Rocco because I think when there's dead bodies in the hotel, I think he just wouldn't know. Exactly. I, I don't, I don't, I didn't take that as any sort of thing that we should be reading into or a, a hint from the show. Uh, on the list of other at least possibles, Ethan is on tilt, sir. Ethan is on tilt. I don't know what. And that would be, you know, I, I think I was talking about the tragedy of almost like a Macbeth type or thing or Romeo and Juliet type thing. Of like people are dying and, you know, all all of that. Right. There could be some of that with, with Harper and Ethan too. Right. Because like Harper could, if she hasn't already cheat on him with Cameron, there could be a sense of, well, he already thinks I've done it. Fuck it. I'll just do it. And Ethan could kill himself after that, finding it out, finding out about it. Or he could kill himself thinking she did it when she really didn't. Both are super tragic. Right. Um, So, yeah, so that, I think Ethan's a good, good, good potential call there. If I had to have an honorable mention, I would say Ethan. I, I think. The, the I don't think Cameron to... died, and and Daphne's just out there, just hanging out. Like in, unless she killed him. On. Unless she uh, killed him. I don't think she killed wouldn't him. put it she past her. Nah, she's got a trainer. She has no reason to kill him. He's the he's the he is serving his role, which is the paycheck. What, you, you, hey, his know, role has never been to not cheat on her. or whatever. hit the main reason I thought she would kill him is if my other theory that he's dirt broke comes out. She well, finds out he has no money. She kills his ass. Well, she would already know that. I mean, they're, they're, as, I as married people, as married people typically, you're, you're finding it would be extremely difficult it, as someone it, who's been married a long time to hide that you're broke from your wife. That would is, be a very difficult thing to do. It is a lot easier if you're controlling the finances. She does not work. She is stay at home. She may not be at all involved in that process. And he does, you know, various financial advising. I'd be perfectly possible that he could keep that sheltered from her. Maybe. I, I don't know that they're going that route. I could, they could. I just don't, I don't, I don't think they're going that route. I think, um, I think that, da- I think Cameron will be alive. He'll be somewhere else. Uh, otherwise Daphne wouldn't be out there just like, you're going to have a great time. Oh my God. 
Um, no, yeah, notable and, 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 neither was mentioned Dominique though, given how many suspicions we had previously about you know. I've pulled Dominique or... back off the list. He's back. All, he's off my list now, based on what I've seen the last couple episodes. There seems to be an attempt by Dominique to to cool it down a little bit, to pump the brakes. How how would how healing on his part? How possibility for maturity? Let's see where it goes. Yeah, he seems to have like kind of relaxed a little bit. I'd be shocked if it was Dominic at this point, based on what they've given us the last couple episodes. All right. So well, nobody knows. That's one thing we do know is that not a fuck. Only people associated with the show know this. That we, and, nobody knows. We're speculating about something that no one knows right now. I, I, then last question for you. Last bet for the rest of the week. Will there be any leaks going into the last episode? I mean, I think the only way there's a leak is if it's like, and it, for some reason, this only happens to Game of Thrones shows. It does if, like, every single time. If fucking, you know, HBO Saudi Arabia airs it on like Saturday night, which is what's been fucking happening um, with Game <laughs> hey, of Thrones hey. and House of the Dragon, where it's just like HBO, insert name of other market, will air it by accident early. And it's like, what? how does that happen? I don't understand that. It, that'd be the only way I think, because they haven't really screeners to anyone. It would be curious to see, because like you said, for game, poor Game of Thrones and for House of the Dragon, they were getting screwed over rotten with respect to certain affiliates releasing information way too early. Yeah, they accidentally air it. Yeah. I don't know about that one. Yeah, that, if I was HBO, I mean, heads on the cutting board. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, Spencer, anything else you want to talk about? Anything else you want to wrap up here in the penultimate episode of White Lotus? Heading into the finale next week. We've had our theories set in stone. We got, what, an hour and a half episode next week? It's supposed to be massive, like bigger than the other ones we've had previously in this season. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Okay, thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back with you next week in the Tuesday, Wednesday time frame to, Tuesday, Wednesday time frame to review the finale of White Lotus Season 2. Thanks everybody for joining us here. And uh, if you're enjoying our stuff, please go to mangumtalks.com or type in Mangum Talks to your favorite on your favorite podcast platform to check out all of the stuff, all of the things that we've put out into the ether uh, through the years, I will say, uh, I'll put another plug in for it. I'm here at the Game of Thrones conference on the ground. First, I'm, first person reporting. That's what I'm doing. Newsman that I am, I will be reporting on the Game of Thrones conference. So if you want real time updates on things I'm seeing or announcements that are being made or whatever, you can follow us at, at Mangum Talks and you can also wait for a couple days and we will have a review podcast of everything that I see here from the first ever HBO officially licensed Game of Thrones conference, which is happening this weekend. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back with you next week to review the finale of White Lotus season two.